Good evening. We're getting closer to Pesach. We'll speak a little bit about it today. Uh, it's unique this year because Lela Seder, the first night of Passover, falls on uh, Saturday night, Motzei Shabbos. Uh, this lecture will be Bezrat Hashem Le'ilui Nishmat Zava Golda Bat Shoshana Le'ilui Nishmat Sofia Sonia Batsara Le'erfuat Emma Badvora Isakov Le'ilui Nishmat David Ben Chusni Akohen also the Rafa Shlema of Moshe Ben Saltanet, Rafa Shlema of Miriam Batamar, and Yaakov Rafael Ben Miriam, also Rafa Shlema of Michael Ben Miriam, and, uh, and for that Slacha, of, uh, the wedding is now, tonight. Chaya, Frida, but Esther, Shifra, and Yitzchak Ben Tova. And Latzlachat, Yente, but Esther, Shifra. Baruch Hashem. They published some results of the year, two, the year 2020. Conclusion of that year. The wars here in the history of United States when it comes to death cases. More people died in 2020 than ever in the history of United States. And this, considering that about eight to ten months of the year we were sitting home. There's no car accidents like usually. Many people did not die from flu because everyone was walking with a mask or no one was walking. So the main reason, obviously besides old people who their time come to die, with naturally every year you have many cases of death. Besides the usual cases of death, the key player was the corona. No matter how many people would try to deny it, it's nothing, it's a regular flu, baloney. It's people that live in an imaginary world Hopefully they'll put their ego down and they start face the numbers. They, the war is here in the history of the United States. Baruch Hashem, now in Israel, they have a new joke today. To say on Motzei Shabbos, remember, you're going to say it in 12 days. First night of the Seder, when we sing, Man Ishtana Alayla Mikol Alelot. We have to sing, what's what changed today in Israel from the rest of the world? That in the rest of the world, nobody got even one shot, and in Israel, everybody already got two shots. <laughs> I can add it to the song. Yes, the Israelis, with their ideas, they made this new joke. Two shots that saves the life already of thousands of people. Without the vaccines, you know, the lefties, the liberals, they'll do everything they can to destroy Israel. That's their goal. We already know it. It's not from today. The, the hypocrisy around these people is beyond any, anything you can imagine. 
even when Netanyahu who messed up many times in his decision, when he finally did one great thing in his career, he convinced the head of Pfizer, a Greek Jew, to give the first batch of vaccines to Israel when it was not meant for Israel. The, the head of Pfizer said that he called him more than 20 times. And one time he called him at 3 a.m. and woke him up in the middle of the night to his cell phone. And he said to him, Bibi, it's 3 a.m. Say, I would not call you if it's not going to be a matter of life and death. He did not leave him alone until he agreed to give the vaccines to Israel before America. Can you believe it? Before Europe. Before any other country who probably could have paid double for it if they want. And this already brought the numbers of dead from around 90 to 100 a day to less than 10. It's close to 80% reduction in the amount of death every day. Multiply by two, three months since they started to give vaccines, already saved the life of two, three thousand Israelis. Approximately, we don't know exactly. Instead of standing by his home and say, as much as we hate you, we have a lot of gratitude to you for helping us to save life. They butchered him. Nothing, nothing. They'll never admit. Same thing they did to Trump. When he finally did something good, doesn't matter. That's all about ego. All these arguments are all about ego. So it was the worst year in the history of America. Now I'm going to tell you a little story. It will give you a little bit understanding about, it's also something to learn from life. This story will teach you about being consistent. Never give up. When you know you're right and you have a goal, you must be strong. You have to have faith in Hashem that He will help you in the end. And you got to go full force no matter how people laugh at you and make fun at you. Especially when it comes to religion, which is uh, eternity. You don't care what people say. You care to stick to the goal. But even in this world, many people made it against all odds. This one became the best guitar player in the world. This one the best uh, basketball player. This one is a big professor. People that nobody believed about them. I had a guy with me in the army. In a billion years, I will never ever believe that this guy will ever become something. As a, you know, like they say in America, a low-life joker. That you already see somebody like this, nothing is going to come out of it. One day I get an article from the Israeli newspaper about one of the big gangsters. Who is his lawyer? Number one criminal lawyer in Israel? The guy that was with me in a room in a Tironut. Barzila his name. Became the number one criminal lawyer. Now Israel to become a lawyer is ten times harder than America. Because a lot of people want to become lawyer and they have very limited amount of space. So you have average has to be over 95 to get accepted. You won't get accepted with 80 or 85. That's the way it used to be when I was, you know, in my 20s. I don't know, today maybe they have more schools, I don't know. But that's how it used to be. It was very difficult to become a lawyer. Very. A lot of Israeli went to Oxford or other universities in Europe to learn over there, to become a lawyer, and then come to Israel and... Uh, and to practice law, but it couldn't get accepted. 
So this guy would never believe somebody like this would even go to college or university. Here you go. Surprise. Not that it's good to be a criminal lawyer. It's the dumbest thing for a Jew to do, to, to do. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying the academic learning, it's not easy. You can be stupid and become a criminal lawyer, especially in Israel. Here you can become anything you want. The dumber you are, the, the higher you're going to get. Look at the president. You get the point. So that's it. Look at Hussein Obama. He was in Harvard Law School. Supposedly the top in America. Every decision he ever made was the dumbest you can ever imagine. Everything. The opposite of logic. With Iran, with everything. He made a law that people would like to change their sex. They can do it in the army and we have to pay for it. Brilliant. A much genius. So now every, every psycho who decided he doesn't want to be who he is, joined the army. Not for the love of the United States, being patriotic, no. Because we have to pay three, dollars $400,000 for his surgery. We have to pay for it to corrupt our society. And after we spend so much money, most likely this guy will kill himself anyway. That's Hussein Obama a graduate of Harvard Law School. Just to give you an idea, okay? So being in a university in a great uh, position doesn't make you a smart person. Maybe it makes you book smart. You learn and learn and learn and you pass the test, yes. But when it comes to common sense, that's when you're being exam if you are smart or not. Common sense. You understand? When I speak to a university graduate and I show him the proofs about the fish, that I show in my Torah and science about everything that have scales must have fins and show how the entire time of this world never found anything in the ocean, especially when the Torah was given, half of the species did not even exist. And now we have millions of other species in the ocean that did not exist 3,300 years ago. And the Torah committed that you will never find one of them in the ocean with scales with no fins which show complete divine knowledge. You speak to some uh, university graduate and their brain is like a shoe. They're not getting the point. And you think to yourself, one day this fool will be a judge here in a criminal court of Manhattan. He's going to decide who's going to live and who's going to die. Who's going to sit in jail and never see his children and who's going to be free on the street. And things that in elementary first grade you already have to understand. You understand? He doesn't get it. But he's going to become some big shot, politician, senator, whatever. Not everyone. Some people are brilliant. There are smart people. I'm not saying no. But the amount of people with no brain in Israel and here and probably in Europe as well is beyond any imagination. Let me tell you a little story. There is a woman from Hungary. Her name is Kathleen Kriko. You heard about her? Kathleen Kriko. Remember this name. Today she's 65. She's a biochemist from Hungary. Biochemist. She worked 40 years. 40 years. About the research 
What's the name of the research? mRNA. She came up with that idea. How to trick the body, the immune system, how the body reacts to viruses, and to invent a new revolutionary system. Soon you will understand why it's revolutionary and how brilliant her idea was. She sold her car. She was a poor beginner scientist 40 years ago, 25. She was 25. She sold her car to be able to buy three tickets for her, for her husband, and for her little baby. She came to America after many attempts to different university, one university accepted her. The University of Pennsylvania. They allowed her to go there. This was in the 80s. She had tons of obstacles. No matter she, as she was working on her research, the body gave her a big war. All kinds of infections and resistance when people started to lose their patience to her research, the funders slowly, slowly closed the budget and turned their back to her, did not even return phone call. The head of the university offered her a different job, just let go, a different job with a beautiful salary, a promising research, something new but she insisted to complete her research for basically no money, just for the sake of humanity. She joined together with an investigator, a scientist named Drew Weissman, probably a Jew, not necessarily, his father maybe was a Jew. He actually showed some interest in her research and he gave her a salary of a clerk like technician in a lab, very small salary, not like a scientist, big shot, no. Together they worked and they were able to find the par particle, particle that resist, resist the idea of mRNA and how to circum circumvent that particle. When they made their first experiments, the mice that they were making their experiments were developing resistance and all kinds of infections and dying. But when they finally recognized what is the particle that actually caused the, caused the death, they found a way to trick it and to go around it. From the minute they were able to do it, the mice, they stayed alive. They realized they reached a breakthrough, scientific breakthrough. 2006, they published an article with their results. It took four years, four years after such an invention that is going to change the face of the earth. After such an invention, it took them four years to attract the pharmaceutical company to actually join venture with them. Who? Moderna. Moderna was a small, tiny company back then, 2006, meaning to now it's 2010. And also BioNTech. 
they dumped her, threw her out from the university. That she say, they say to her, you're not in a, le a minimal level of our investigators and scientists. She moved and got a job in bio and tech. That was very small company back then. They worked with very small budgets. As soon as Corona started a year ago, 2020, government went into panic. And they started to find, to talk to scientists how quick they think they can invent a vaccine against this Corona. And they told them it's gonna take years. But she already was very close. All she needed to do is few adjustments. 40 years of work. That's the answer to all these fools and say, how ah, can you know what's going to happen after a year? Who can develop a vaccine in a year? It's not a year, it's 40 years. Yeah, Hashem already prepared the remedy for this pandemic with this woman. What happened? The government gave them billions of dollars. Do it quick. And within a year from then, together with Pfizer, all these people were involved, Moderna, Pfizer, they developed this vaccine, mRNA. What's M? mRNA, M is like a, a messenger, like a broker. I don't want to go into the details with you because first I don't want to get confused. I don't remember all the research. And in seconds, it's going to take us now 20 minutes anyway, so it's not the point. The point is that her idea was brilliant. And she saw it from the first moment. She had a vision. And now she's a nominee to receive the Nobel Prize. You understand? That's, by the way, the answer also to a lot of people who make fun and fight against the vaccines and all these things. It's time to give up. On Shabbos, I walked on the street on the way to Yeshiva for Shachris. One woman was coming. I was with my two boys. He said, no, I'm a big fan of yours. But one thing I disagree with you. Sure, I already know. The vaccine, that, but it killed. It killed? Yes, it killed millions of people. <laughs> After you hear something like this, there's any point of even starting an argument? Say, no, no, I have to rush. Goodbye. Adios. Don't waste my time. That's burning time. Baruch Hashem. Tov. Like I said, Passover is coming. This year is a little bit, a little bit different than usual. A little bit different. What's different? is uh, when, when, when Lela Seder falls on Motzei Shabbos, usually when it falls in a regular day of the week, the night before you check for Hametz, and after sunset, when it gets dark with a candle, you finish, you do bitul. In the morning, a few hours, you can eat breakfast with bread, take the leftover Hametz, you go, you burn it, you do bitul again, and you're done. Comes the night, this year, we have Shabbat meal on Shabbat morning. 
You have to uh, have Shabbat mitzvah. The Ashkenazim, they don't have such a big problem. Why? When they eat matzah all year, they make a mozi. They can do a mozi on matzah, regular machine matzah. They eat in some shoes in Suda Shlishi, they, they serve matzah. They make a mozi on it. Faradim, it's a problem. They don't make a mozi on matzot the rest of the year. They make mezonis. And Shabbos night and Shabbos morning, you have to do a mozi. Not mizones. Mizones, if you don't have anything, no bedieved. But lechatchila, you have to do, you have to eat my bread. So what's the solution? This is how you do it. Pay attention. On the night before, meaning Thursday night, you do the regular bdikat chametz. In ten days from now, Thursday night, you do the bdikat chametz. You check carefully everywhere. You start with a candle. You make bracha. You make a bracha al biur chametz. I'm sorry. And after a second, you, you check two, three feet. You can turn on the flashlight, pull off the candle, and continue with the flashlight. You can divide the house to you and your boys. If you have boys that are older than bar mitzvah and they know what they're doing. Before you start the bracha, you tell them, you take the first floor, you take the second floor, you do the garage, you do the cars. The more boys, the easier the job is. You can be friends also, doesn't have to be boys. If anybody, friends of yours, okay, you do here, you do here. Like this, instead of three hours, it may take you an hour. If you have more boys, it may take you half an hour. Everybody check a different place. If you have a vacation home, you have to make sure to check it when you're there, way before Pesach. Even if it's two, three months before, when you leave the place, you don't leave in the freezer their bread and all this. If you forgot and you left and someone has the key, you ask them to go there and get rid of all the chametz from them. If you don't have, you, when you do the bitul chametz, you include in your mind all the chametz that are in the vacation home. And when you get there, you must throw all the chametz to the garbage, even the whiskey bottles. Even if they cost a million dollars, doesn't matter. Why? Either you sell the chametz to the goyim or no. If you did not sell the chametz to the goy, there's no way you can use the chametz after Pesach. So what's the solution we came up with? We sell it to the goy. You go to the rabbi, you can sell it to the rabbi, even the chametz that you have in your other house, even though you're not there for three months already. May, you may have a house in Israel. You don't remember what you left there six months ago when you were there. You don't remember. Maybe the freezer of cakes, maybe as bread, maybe as crackers, maybe as whiskey. You don't know. So you sell all the chametz that you have. The problem is that to, in order for you to sell, you need to know what you're selling. Did you ever see a transaction between two people I'm selling you my chametz. Okay, how much? I have no idea because I don't really know what I have. <laughs> Can you do such a transaction? It's a problem. So you have to know what's, what's there. You don't know, it's a problem. If you remember, you tell them I have uh, two bottles of whiskey that they are in this address in Israel, and I have a few bottles of whiskey right here in Queens. I'm selling you six bottles, and that's it. If you don't have bottles of whiskey, what's the point of selling chametz? What are you trying to save? $10? You're willing to take such a risk? 
If you have a lot of bottle of whiskey, that could be a thousand, two thousand dollars, you don't want to throw it to the garbage. So you sell it to the goy. But if you have spaghetti, crackers, bread, few pita breads, for this you're going to sell it to the goy? It's a joke. For ten, twenty dollars you're trying to save, just get rid of it. Eat it before Pesach, whatever you did not eat, burn. Put it together in a bag and burn it. Now let's explain about how to do it this year. So Thursday night, after you make the bracha, you can go with flashlight, you check everywhere, fine. Places that there is no chance that chametz arrived there, let's see, you have shelves, and there's one on the top. Top, 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 you need a ladder to get there. It's not going to be, kids don't put wafers there or pretzel. They're never going to reach there. Nobody eats there in the top, here, like you, you see the shelves over there. You're not, you don't need to check on top. Why? The chance that Hametz got there is one to a billion, if any. Don't waste your time. Just check in places that there is possible possibility that Hametz arrived there. You understand? If you have closets with the clothes, shirts, towels, places like this, nobody put Hametz on the top shelf. Even if you have kids, they may open the closet, they can put it only up to where their hands reach. First or second shelf. The fourth one, nobody reached there. Okay, so in that case, you don't have to worry. So, after you finish to check, you have in the Haggadah of Pesach, in the first few pages, you're going to see, Bitul Chametz. You cancel all the Chametz. Tomorrow, you're going to have to cancel again. But first, you cancel now, in case you forget by tomorrow, you cancel now. Now, this was Thursday night. Friday morning, you can still eat chametz. It's not Pesach yet. So, no problem. You dedicate a place, you can still eat chametz. Usually most people, they eat out. Once they got rid of the chametz Thursday night, they go to restaurants, they eat, bagel store, no problem. If you're not the type to go to a restaurant, you leave yourself a few pita bread. They don't make a lot of crumbs. Don't, you don't want bagels or crunchy things that start making crumbs. Pita bread, it's not... Very easy to eat it in one place. Now comes Friday night. It's still not Passover. Friday night. So what do you do? As usual, you eat with the bread. You have this nylon plastic. You finish the meal, you collect it, put it in the garbage. Then Shabbat morning, it's already Erev Pesach. You cannot eat chametz after four hours from the sunrise, which is around 7.10 now. Four hours will bring you to almost 11, something like 11 o'clock. You see, I have to finish the meal. To finish the meal, by 11, you have to look at the calendar. I don't know the exact time. Collect all the crumbs from Shabbat morning, Dump it in a toilet, everything in the toilet, or in a shower. If you're afraid it's going to start spilling out, you can dump everything in a shower, flush, clean, rinse the entire bath, everything goes with the water, and then you do bitul chametz. So you have two meals with bread. Like I said, Ashkenazim, they don't have problem. They can eat on matzot. Friday night, Shabbat morning, there's no problem. They don't have this headache. They get rid of the chametz from Friday before Shabbat and finished. What do you do for Suda Shlishit? 
סעודה שלישית, it's ערב פסח, you're not supposed to eat and come to the ליל הסדר when you're full, you have to come hungry. So you do סעודה שלישית early, right after midday. You daven mincha early, some people do two meals, meaning they do the סעודה שלישית before mincha. You need, to, you need to daven mincha before. Most, the best way is to first pray mincha, then to do suda shlishi. Since you cannot eat bread already, you finish from the morning, right? There's no more bread. What can you do? Either you eat grapes, which is shivat aminim, or dates. Or the Ashkenazim, they eat matzah shira. We, the Sephardim, don't eat matzah shira. It's made from eggs or fruit juice. We don't need it. So better to do a small meal, Suda Shlishit, you eat seven grapes, seven big grapes, it's already one ounce. You eat it, Suda Shlishit. That's it. And you come to Lela Seder when you're hungry and ready to go. So after you do the cancellation, that's it. If there is chametz you did not find, you may find it on uh, Motzei Shabbos, Sunday morning, Monday, Tuesday, it could be already Cholamoed. Any chametz you find, if it's on Yom Tov, you cover it with some uh, jar or something, something to cover it. When Yom Tov finish, you take it out and you dump it in the dumpster. If it's Cholamoed, you take it out and you throw it out in the public garbage. Once you do the cancellation, if there is something you did not know that you have it, like a bottle of whiskey that was hidden in a drawer somewhere, and you didn't see it, you forgot about it, that's it. It cannot be given to a goy, it cannot be, you can't drink it after Pesach, it has to be destroyed. So you have to do the selling of the chametz, the rabbis probably will, will hand it to the goy on Friday, so you have to do it any time until Thursday evening. If you have valuable chametz, remember, if you don't have valuable chametz, you have now 10 days, eat all the chametz you have, spaghetti, macaroni, get rid of it. If you don't have enough room in your stomach to finish all the chametz you have, right? So you can give it to the cleaning lady as a gift. Hey, senora, por favor, here, a gift. Go eat spaghetti, gain some weight, no problem. Why? Why are you giving me that? It's Passover, we can't eat it. But if you sell anyway, if you already, like I say, have a lot of bottles of whiskey, and you make mechirat chametz, it's really no difference. If you already sell, you can sell also spaghetti packs or whatever you have, or cookies. You can put everything in one place, cover it, no, you say, you're right, sold to the Goy, and it basically belongs to the Goy. The Goy gives the rabbi a down payment, few dollars, dollar. And in the contract, he has to come between now until the end of Passover with the rest of the money, which could be millions of dollars. Depend how big is the rabbi. If it's a rabbi of one synagogue with a hundred families, it can be a few thousand dollars, the value of the chametz. So the rabbi of the whole town, that thousand people sold by him, could be a million dollar chametz. Everybody sells five bottles of whiskey, two bottles of whiskey, this, that. Somebody has a store, supermarket, mini market, it can be $50,000 worth of chametz right there. 
So he has the, 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 the papers, which each address, name, what you sell, the value of the chametz. They go, you know, all the chametz I bought from the rabbi is located in such and such houses. I gave a dollar down, I still owe him a million. I have to bring the rest of the money and then I can go collect my chametz. Since the guy does not bring the money, when the Passover is finished, what happened? It's like you're buying back the chametz from him. It does not cancel the sale. And if it will cancel the sale, that means retroactive, all the chametz was yours. <laughs> Every second, it's three sins from the Torah. Three, three per second. Three, six, nine, twelve. Imagine eight days like this. How many millions of sins would it would come to? So the guy did not bring the rest of the money. You're like buying back the chametz from him. Here is the money. I'm buying it back from you. That's it. And that's how we do it. So that's just to give you an idea. Now, please do not miss, I have four lecture series about the Haggadah. Amazing. Lots of Hidushim, lots of secrets about the Haggadah. Please make notes when you listen to it. Write to yourself in your language, notes. One, two, three. Why? Because you have to come for Passover night, Motzei Shabbos, and Sunday night. We do it two nights. Two nights, the same story, with lots of words of Torah, which is the main mitzvah of Pesach. And, and Passover night, you have four mitzvot. Two, the Oraita, and two, the Rabbanan. Two directly from the Torah, and two rabbinical. From the Torah, you have an obligation to eat matzah, the night of Pesach. The second mitzvah from the Torah is Veigata Lebincha. I have to tell your children about the story of the Exodus of Egypt. So everything that relates to Passover, it's mitzvah. You talk about Paro and what happened, what Hashem did to him, and, and the ten plagues, and what happened, and what the Egyptians did, and what the Jews did, and what Hashem thought. Everything. You will find a lot of the subjects that uh, talks about Exodus of Egypt in three chapters in the Torah. Which one? Shmot, Vaera, and Bo. Shmot is the beginning of Exodus. First, second, and third chapters of Exodus. Three parashot full of the stories of the Exodus of Egypt. If you listen to my series, I went from the beginning of the Agadah until the end of it, with tons of divrei Torah. You have enough for 10 nights of seders over there. So whatever you like, you write. When you come to the table, you have to speak divrei Torah, not going directly to the Ashpolo and to the beautiful lamb that your wife made. That's not the main thing of the night. Also, you have to remember that you don't have room to eat too much the night of uh, Passover. Because after you finish the meal, you still have to stay hungry enough to eat one to two ounces of matzah, which could be between half of a round matzah to a full one. Better full one. If you can't, at least 
55% of it, a little bit more than half. And it's difficult, because if you stuffed yourself with potatoes, if you're Ashkenazi, with rice, if you're Sfaradi, meat, it's meat, and you ate and eat, and don't forget, you already ate two ounces of matzah before, and you had two ounces of lettuce before, and you had celery, and you, had, and you drank wine, so your stomach is already like cement. You know, you feel like cement in your stomach. Now you have, uh, your wife is bringing all the meat, and this, and meatballs, and all these things. You stuffed yourself even more. And when it comes to the afikoman, you have no more room to eat. So what's the problem? So I'll eat it when I'm full. I still do the mitzvah. The answer is no. When you eat something at the situation that you're already full, it's not considered eating. It's called achila gasa. When you do a mitzvah to eat something, you have to enjoy from that something, not to suffer. If you, if you choke, you can't breathe, that's not achila. That's why you have to stay at least a little bit hungry. You eat it, and that's when you com conclude the night. After that, you don't eat anything anymore. No more desserts, no more fruits, nothing. Because you want to stay with the taste of the matzah for the rest of the night. If you're very thirsty, drink water. You can drink water. But that's the two nights of the seder. You have to have the keara with all the simanim. You can have one for the whole table. If you have many of them, you can give to each guest one. Up to you. Usually, some places they put one, some places they put one for the owner of the, of the house and one for the guest. Either way, it's good. And you have to follow the Agadah one paragraph after the other. One after the other. Now, remember, you may have guests and guests are important, but the night of Passover, they're not important. The kids are important. Your children, because the obligation in the Torah is Ve'higata levanecha, not Ve'higata leorchecha. You have to tell your children, not to your guest. The rest of the year, you can talk to your guest, Divre Torah. Now, you have to speak to your children. What does it mean? If you have little kids, one is five, one is seven, one is eight, they're not in the level of the Talmud Yeshiva, the guest. He wants to talk Mara, he wants to talk about Kushiyot, Erutzim. But the kids won't understand. You have to speak to the kids in a language of eight years old, seven years old, whatever, the language, whatever their age is. Therefore, the priority is your children. Women, you don't really have an obligation to kill yourself too much with the cleaning. The purpose of Passover is not to clean every inch of the house. The walls from stain, I don't know, anything you can ever imagine. No. The cleaning of Pesach has to be focused on the chametz. Places that there is chametz, the stove. Maybe this chametz leaked over there. The toaster where you make toast. Places like this. Parts, this, make sure places where you cook hametz or store hametz and hametz sometimes leak, over there you have to focus. If you're not in a mood to clean your bedroom and you don't eat all year around in your bedroom, you don't have to work two days in the bedroom, take over everything, clean the walls, clean the closet. It's nothing to do with Passover. 
If you have cleaning people that help you, you want to clean the whole house, fine, but don't kill yourself. I'll tell you why. Many women, a month before Pesach, you see, you go to Borough Park, places like this, you see everything is outside on the street, shelves, these, stoves, they take everything apart. Most of what they do has nothing to do with Pesach. They just torturing themselves. And what happened? When the, finally the night of Pesach comes, the wife has to participate in Agadah. She also came out of Mitzrayim. It's the miracle that Hashem did for women as well. And now, by then, she's already falling asleep. She can't even open up her eyes. While she works so hard, cleaning, she cannot focus. That's not wise. Like I said, I know the Hasidim, they're very machmir, they put tinfoils on the walls, and I don't know, I never understand where they got these ideas from. What could be on a wall? You have a wall now. There's chametz in a wall? What? Somebody made a wall, hid chametz inside the closet? Why are you afraid that someone maybe had spaghetti in his hand and he actually rubbed it into the, into the wall and maybe a drop of chametz went inside to the wall? And, uh, what are you so afraid of? Or the faucet from the top, you have to put tinfoil on it? I don't understand. What I speak... I'm not telling the Hasidim what to do. They have the Rebbes, they should ask them what to do. I'm speaking from Allah's point of view. There's no obligation to cover the marble. They don't have all these obligations. If you want, you can put plastic sink inside your regular sink. If you want. If you don't, no problem. You can make the sink kosher. You can use the same sink. Better to have a set for Passover. Plates, this. But you don't use the set you use all year round. If you cannot afford, do a galat to your kelim. Kelim that you eat chametz on. There are rules how to make it kosher for Passover. It's headache. Therefore, most religious people, they have their own set for Pesach. If you have self-clean oven, it's fantastic. You press self-clean, it makes the oven kosher le Pesach, no problem. You can put inside... Also, the top pieces from the stove, you know, where you put the teapot on and you light the fire, all the metal pieces you can put inside the oven, close it, make self-clean, it cleans this as well. You spray on the top of the oven, this. Holes, if you have holes that you cannot reach, the vacuum cleaner cannot reach, you, you take your magnifying glass and you see some breadcrumbs there. Don't kill yourself. Take the Windex, Spray on the bread, finished. If you can't reach, you do bitul chametz. It becomes sent anyway. It's not going to be a sin for you to have those crumbs. Why? You try to clean in holes. You couldn't reach. If you put soap on it, it makes it not worthy of, me, of eating. No, even the dog won't eat it if you put soap on it. Everything you cannot reach, once you put soap or bleach on it, it's not considered food anymore, even if it's chametz. If a dog would come to it, it will not even eat it. Everything a dog will not eat, and people will not eat. People don't eat breadcrumbs from the floor that were there for, for, for six months, right? They don't lick the floor for breadcrumbs, right? So if a dog and a person will not eat it, it's not chametz. Some, when, they, when they use this expression, something that is not worthy to, to be eaten by a dog, it's not so accurate because whiskey is also not eaten by a dog and it's 100% chametz. 
There's all kinds of chametz that the dogs won't eat. That's why I say dogs and people. Both of them will not eat it. Then you know it's not chametz. Even a dog will not eat it. Meaning it doesn't have a value of a food anymore. Baruch Hashem. Uh, you put hot water on the marble of the gran gran granite over there. You know, you, you clean it with soap. You put hot water. That's it. It makes it kosher. Uh, if you have grill, grill outside in your backyard, that you put some bread on it, when you put steaks, so better not to use it at all. Don't go into now cleaning it and be machshiret. Technically, you can machshiret. You can make it kosher. You take, you take the net. What's inside gets burned anyway from the fire. When you burn it, nothing is left. It's all ashes. But the metal pieces... The net that you put on top, either you have different one for Passover, you can order another set, and then you can use it. Or this one, you clean very, very good, you scrub it until it becomes shiny and nice, and that's it, you can use it also. The urine that you use to make tea, there's no chametz in it. You use it for Shabbos to make tea, there's, there's no chametz inside. You clean it good from the outside, there's no problem. Everything that is, does not say kosher for Pesach on it, you're not allowed to eat it in the eight days of Pesach. However, if the, the, if the ingredients does not have the five kinds of grains, meaning it doesn't actually have chametz in it, you can keep it in the closet, cover it, and just don't eat it. You don't have to get rid of it, you don't even have to sell it to the goy. But you can eat it because it doesn't say kasher le Pesach. Unless it's water. Water doesn't have to be kasher le Pesach. It's water. You can drink it. Other things, fruits and vegetables. Fruits and vegetables. I know the Hasidim, some vegetables they don't eat. They consider it kidneyot. Like cucumbers have seeds. Some of them don't eat. Tomatoes have a little seeds in it. They don't eat. I heard that even oil they use from chicken fat. They make all kinds of things, which that's their minhagim. For us, the Sfaradim is a lot easier on Pesach. We're allowed to eat kitniot, corn, beans, all these things that for Ashkenazim they don't eat. We are eating it, rice, all these things. Quinoa, there's a lot of things. We have a variety of foods we can eat. We just don't eat hametz. The Ashkenazim that are more machmir in Passover, they don't eat kitniot. It's, you have to know that it's not chametz. Some Ashkenazim think that kitniot is chametz. It's not chametz. They're just chumrah. For instance, you have corn. Maybe in the old days when they used to cut the corn, they store it in the same warehouse when they also have wheat. And there's wind. Maybe some of the wheat flew into the corn, and when they sell it, and you cook it, maybe you have a little bit chametz in it, right? So that's why you don't, you don't eat kitniot. We, when we eat the rice, we have to check it before. We make sure there's nothing black in it. Sometimes it could be one or two wheat in it, or barley. So you make sure there's no, no, they sell rice kosher for Pesach, but in case you don't have, ask the rabbi which brand. It's, it's fine to use, just check it, make sure there's nothing black, and you can cook it lechatchila, to eat it. Like I say, pass overnight, don't eat a lot. Very little meat, 
you're already drinking wine, that's it. Why? Because you're going to come to the Afikoman stuffed, and according to some poskim, the main eating of matzah in Pesach is the final one, the Afikoman. And if you were already stuffed, you did not fulfill the, the obligation of eating matzah in Pesach. Now, let's talk a little bit about things that we have to speak about the night of Passover. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to the nation of Israel, Leman shiti ototai ele bekirbo. I made my magics among them. That you should tell the years of your son and your grandson. If your son come with his children, the grandchildren are also an obligation. In the years of your son and your grandson, what the way I abused Egypt. You have to make sure to tell your children what I did to them. And all the magics that are performed, and you should know that I am God. Nothing was nature. It's all me. The question is, What does it mean, it'alalti b'mitzrayim? What does it mean, it'alalut? In English, it means I abuse them. What's the real explanation according to the Torah? I made fun at them. Sichakti. I, I left at them. I make fun at them. Asiti mehem tzchok. I made a joke out of them. That's how your children have to understand what I did to these evil, wicked Egyptians. The question is how? How Hashem made fun of them? The answer is Hashem made the heart of power stiff. He cannot let go. And at the same time, when Hashem is holding his heart, he sends Moshe to him and say to him, please, let my people go. Again and again and again, when he actually had no way to do it. What does it mean, Who knows what is the difference between liver and the heart? You have the liver of an animal and you have the heart. The liver of a human being and the heart of a human being. The liver, when you put it on a grill, on fire, it becomes hard. The heart, when you put it on fire, it becomes soft. The heart of power became like a liver. The more you cook it, the harder it gets. Let's give an example. When you come to a human being and you take all his belongings in one shot, his house, his cars, his cash, everything, you take everything in one shot. After a while, he gets used to his new situation. It's a shock. Okay, I'm not rich anymore. That's it, I became poor. He's adjusting to his new life. But what happens if you take from him 
has uh, 10 million dollars, you took half a million in one shot. Boom, he went down to nine and a half. He has the pain of the loss. After a few days, he said, well, at least I have, you know, most of my money is still here. I have 95%. Few days later, you come take five more percent. Boom, went down to 90. Few days later, boom, another five. Few days later, boom. So now he lives in fear. Who knows what's next? He can't sleep at night. Every phone call that comes, he goes in, in a shocking mode. Every person who comes, he suspects. He lost his confidence. He does not want to invest any money by anyone anymore because he lives in paranoia. It's been going on for months. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> left and right, left and right, non-stop. Not in one shot. One shot, that's it. It's one punishment. You get used to it, and that's it. Over here, you go to a panic mode. That's called italalti. When Hashem killed the fish in the, in the Niles, all the fish, they say, you know what? We'll manage with meat and vegetables and fruits. It's not the end of the world. So we won't eat, won't eat two nine sea bass. We survive. Millions of fish are dead. It's horrible smell in the Nile. Imagine all the fish floating on the water. What the smell. Go to a fish market, see what smell they have. And if the fish become rotten, spoiled, you can choke and faint from the smell. So imagine you go by the water, oh my gosh, can't believe it. Run away! We have still cows. We can still eat steaks. We manage. Next thing, dever. The meat is all finished. Boom, cows are dead. Everything dies. Okay, you know what? We don't have fish. We don't have meat. But we still have vegetables. We'll become vegetarian. It's for the better. We'll become vegetarian. Top. Then comes the hail. Breaks all the trees. No more fruits and vegetables. All the vegetables are finished, the field. So they say, oh, we still have wheat, barley, grain, oat, you know, spelt. So we'll manage with cookies. We'll manage with some hot bread. At least we won't starve. Tov. Then comes the grasshoppers. Millions of them. They eat everything. All the wheat, barley, everything. They have some leaves. On a, finish them all. So slowly, slowly, it's another punch. And another punch. And another punch. That's called to make fun at someone. Imagine two boxers. One is the world champion and the other one is nothing. He can kill him in one punch. And it's over. No. He gives him one and he helps him to get up. <laughs> then he goes like this. Boom! Another one. He picks him up. Boom! Just give me one. Finish me up and finish. What is this? You keep bringing me up. Why? The whole idea is to make fun at you, you fool. That's called Vitalalti Vemitzrayim. When the grasshoppers came, Hashem kicked Moshe, uh, Paro kicked Moshe and Aaron. As it's written, Vaigaresh otam me'et pnei Paro. 
When the darkness came, Paro already lost his mind. He said to them, if you show up your face one more time, I'll murder you. That's it. I'll kill you. Do not dare to see my face. If you see my face one more time, meaning you show up, I'll kill you. I don't get it. Darkness was the ninth plague. The more punches you get, the weaker you become. Not brave and strong. Where did he get this guts? Egypt is destroyed. Darkness everywhere. What does he say? If you show up your face, I'll kill you. Where did he get this guts from? I'll tell you. If you want to make fun at someone and you see that he has no energy left, what do you do? You help him a little bit to put him back on his feet. Oh, so you make him strong. Here, take some ice, put here. Wet towel, clean your face. You good? Boom! Oh, oh. You're helping me or you're killing me? I'm helping you only for one reason. I'm giving you strength. Why? To give you another punch. That's the whole idea. It's similar, by the way. Did you ever see a cow when they slaughter a cow? How the cow shake and move? Makes a lot of noise. A second before it dies, it becomes very wild. A lot of wicked people, before Hashem wiped them out, they make a lot of noise. Until, oh, you don't see them ever again. Now comes the last final one. Every firstborn is going to die. Paro is panicked. He runs to look for Moshe. But everybody begged them, let them go already. Don't you see that Egypt is destroyed? He did not let go. And now he knows that every firstborn is going to die, and he is firstborn. Everybody died besides him. Why? He is the one who caused everyone to die. Don't you think he deserves to die as well? From here we see that to die it's not always the worst punishment. To keep you alive and see everything you build in your life destroyed to zero, it's sometimes worse than to actually kill you. There is a reason for it. Because as long as you live, every second you look around, you see what it used to be and what it became out of your stupidity, it kills you. You suffer non-stop. Now... Why Hashem did it to the Egyptians in such a way? One punch after the other. One more step, one more step, one more step, one more step. Why not in one shot finish them and that's it? Why? It escalated the torture. More, more. Why? Because that's the way they did it to the Jews. In the beginning, they say, we need to build some construction site. We will give you $50 an hour. The king is paying. Lots of Jews came and stood online. Fill up the application. You can go and work. 10 hours a day, 500 bucks. Wow. What do you do, Moshe? I'm a construction worker. Well, you became an Arab? 
In Israel, only Arabs are construction workers. You can call me whatever you want. I make $500 a day. I'm happy. So after they got used to the job, they lower it. 400 300 200 Cutting in a budget. More. More. All of a sudden, no more payments. Okay, no payments. We don't want to work. No, no, no. You have to complete the project. You can't go anywhere. You can't rebel against the king just because he doesn't pay you anymore. You must finish the job. Then the punches began. They took the whips and beat them up and they tortured the women, tortured the men. Every time it became worse. Then they don't give straw anymore. Go and find straw on your own and make your own bricks. Every once in a while they escalated the torture. That's everything Hashem does is Mida Keneged Mida. Measure for measure. You kill babies, we'll kill your babies. You did it one step at a time, I'll kill you one step at a time. It won't be in one shot. Same thing you did. Why does Hashem like to punish Mida Keneged Mida? Who cares how you punish? You can, you can estimate what punishment a person deserves. Give it to him and finish. Why the punishment must relate to that kind of crime that person committed? Why? Two reasons. Who can tell me the two reasons? First answer, to educate the people. Like they say in English, what comes around, what goes around, comes around, right? What you did, that's what you get. Why it's important for the people to recognize it? To see the hand of God. Nothing is random. That means I'm next. When I do something wrong, I'm going to get the same retaliation. I better stop. That's educational. And second, for the actual person himself. For him to learn from his mistake. I made fun at him. Look what happened to me. People made fun at me. I stole from him. They stole the same amount from me. Works mamash in an unbelievable way. Imagine now when you see blood all over Egypt. The Egyptian takes it, it's blood. He said to the Jew, look, I can't even drink. The Jew grabs it from his hand and becomes water. He drinks. What are you talking about? Look, great water. Drinks. Okay, give me some. He touch it, it becomes blood. That's what's going on right now. So he said to the Jew, I, I, you have to help me out here. So the Jews say, I'm willing to help you out, but every time I give you the water, it becomes blood. But if the Egyptian pays for it, it stays water. So that's a fantastic business. You don't need Amazon. <laughs> you, you sell water. Hey, Ahmed, come here. I have water for you. 100 bucks. Open your mouth. Thank you, thank you, Itzik. Now remember, just a day yesterday, Ahmed will beat up Itzik and kick him from morning to night, like a dog. Now Itzik come to Ahmed. Ahmed, you want water? On your knees, put a hundred bucks in a, in a box here. Open your mouth, spill some water. Thank you, Itzik, you're so nice. 
fantastic business. So they're becoming very wealthy. Imagine you have to pay tons of money for a glass of water that you had unlimited. That's psychological torture. That's what destroys them. Now imagine he has to beg. He has to beg. Beg nicely. But I just gave you $100, not enough. You have to apologize for all the shots and kicks that you gave me all these years. All these, you know, working for you. So meaning it's mida keneged mida. Now, now we have to ask ourselves, in, in Parashat Kitisa, we saw the scene of the golden calf. When Moshe came down from the mountain, he saw what they did. He grinded the golden calf with the water. He let them drink, just like you do to Isha Sota. Rashi writes, the water shows you who committed the sin and who didn't. Then they executed 3,000 people. Who executed them? Huh? Shevet Levi, the Levites. Why they? They were the Bachurei Shivot. Since when the Bachurei Shivot become executors? It's not such a great honor to execute people. In Saudi Arabia, they hang people. They have death penalty until today. They had, I don't remember, 10 or 11 people that have the job. One of them, I think, died or quit. They put an ad, anybody who wants to come and hang people. It's a lot of money. Nobody runs. Who wants to hang people? <laughs> the Arabs enjoy to do it if it's Jews. Just to hang people for money, not so not necessarily. I want to tell you something. Did you realize in the last two or three years there is a big difference in the Arab world? Last year or two, not two or three years, year or two. There's a big change in the Muslim world. Many of the Muslims becoming more tolerant to Israel, to the Jews, to America. They're not so crazy fanatic anymore. First of all, you saw few countries made peace agreement with Israel in a minute. Right? Second, you see in Saudi Arabia journalists speak very highly about Israel, singing songs to Bibi Netanyahu online. Five, ten years ago, it would be death penalty. You won't be able to show your face in public. Right away, they, they finish 100 bullets in your head. If you say one word for the sake of the Jews or Israel, all of a sudden, more and more celebrities, Singer, one singer in Kuwait, say, say, I'm becoming Jewish. I convert to Judaism. More and more. Who knows why? why? What's going on all of a sudden? The Palestinians lost their energy. They used to give them tons of money to kill us. Now, hey, 
you have to stop. We're now in a better relationship with Israel as we used to be. Saudi cut their budgets, a lot of other countries. Besides Qatar, nobody, Iran and Qatar, that's it. They lost, Saudi used to give them hundreds of millions of dollars every year. They cut their budget. What's going on here? What is the reason for it, do you know? Think. The answer is, internet became all over the world now. Arabs used to be close in their Muslim radical environment. All day brainwash, kill Jews, kill Americans, kill Germans, kill French, kill British, kill everyone that is not radical, fanatic Muslim. So they now, all of a sudden, had for the first time in their life an opportunity to see online Jews, to read, to see how Israel helps Syrians that wants to kill us when they need a doctor, and all kinds of stories that now they can never hear before. Plus, they also had an opportunity to see what ISIS does. And they said, if that's Islam, we don't want anything to do with that. We don't want this kind of religion. Murdering our own people? You come to my house, you find a bottle of whiskey in the closet, you take me, you lay me on the street, and you go with the tank over my head, crush my bones, and they show it on YouTube and places. The Arabs got the shock of their life. They say, wait a minute, it's one thing, all day they tell us, eat bachel yahud, eat bachel yahud, kill all Jews, you should never let them breed. So we ate the Jews, so we want to make a holocaust to the Jews. But all of a sudden they realize, it's not only kill the Jews, it's kill everyone that we don't like, our own cousins. They open up their eyes they saw that this religion is very dangerous for each one of them. Same religion that they teach them to admire so much and give their life for will turn back against them as a boomerang tomorrow when they don't like something that they do. They come and they burn them alive and hang them in the middle of town. And that's what ISIS did to tens of thousands of them. And there's thousands of videos online. This, together with the modern movies that they watch on the internet, slowly, slowly is changing the Arab world. Another 10, 20 years, you won't recognize them. You're gonna have a minority of crazy people who wants to kill all day, and that's the end, it will be the end of it. Really, it's unbelievable what happened here. The internet not only destroying us as followers of Hashem and bring modern corrupted things into our life, and make us colder in our religion and practice, and also open up their eyes to rebel against their own religion. Why? We don't want this kind of barbaric life. For every little thing, you come, you kill people. That's what's happening. And plus, don't forget, they torture their own people with no trial. There's no trial. They take you, they put you in a basement, three years, torture you from morning to night. Most likely, you never come out. And if somebody finds out about it, they go crazy. Wow, look what they do to our own citizens. Few times in Iran, they try to do riots, demonstrate, but the Iranians, they don't care. They kill, they'll kill 10,000 people, they don't care. It's not like in Israel, oh, we beg you to stop. Over there, they come, they shoot. Same thing in China. They don't care, there's no human rights. 
They do whatever they want. You know, in China, when you are a prisoner, your life is finished. They steal organs from your body. Nobody asks you. Take him to the room. They put you to sleep. Take kidney from you. Take this. Send you back to the camp. They don't, you, you cannot say anything. They're not even denying it. They take organs from prisoners and sell it worldwide. How much a kidney made in China cost? 150,000. People buy it here. There is a big trading. Comes in a box, cooler. They take it, they put it in a cooler. The patient has to come to operate. 150,000, they give you someone's kidney that they stole from him. Even in Israel, there was one Rasha, Professor East, that used to steal parts from people's bodies. They do an autopsy. When he opens the body to check for the cause of death, he used to steal bones, steal things from the body. The body was buried with stuffed inside newspaper and pieces of wood, and so the body. It's amazing how the Torah forbid to do autopsy. And Allah to cut open the dead. Why? But we try to find out who murdered him and how. Not allowed. You have to keep the body complete as it is, bury it as it is. Don't cut, start cutting. That's against the honor of the dead. Few times they wanted to do autopsy in, in Israel. All the Hasidim went, hundreds of them, fighting, throwing rocks, shooting, whatever. You cannot believe. They went crazy. The Israeli police, okay, okay. No autopsy. Why? Some kid died. They suspect maybe his parents shook him up, you know. Sometimes parents get angry when they cry. They shake them up. They can cause them brain damage. They suspected that the parents abused the kid. And so they want to do an autopsy on the baby. They went crazy. Hundreds of Hasidim, that burning tires. They said, don't mess up with them. That's a sensitive point. Why? They're afraid. Tomorrow they're going to start opening bodies. Who knows what they do? Can't be, you can't trust them. It's Rashaim. They do whatever they want. They steal things. Unbelievable. This professor, I once made a whole lecture about him. How he was convicted few times already for stealing parts from bodies and he keeps getting the job back. Why? He has no replacement. Nobody knows to detect the cause of death in Israel like him. It used to be. So they keep giving him the job. So he feels he can do whatever he wants. Nobody can do anything to me. Made a lot of money on the side. Somebody watching over, that means you have to pay him a full-time full salary. And sometimes it's the middle of the night. Someone died, they call you, it's on a, on a call. It's something urgent. It has to be done in, in all kinds of hours. So let's move on. So now... Hashem made the Egyptians like the Jews. After all the tortures they went through, now they give to the Jews gold, silver, clothes. Here, take. You have over there, this is beautiful over there. What, what is this? Oh, that's Gucci. Bring it over. What's this? This is uh, whatever. Louis Vuitton. Bring it over. Wow, wow, beautiful. Wow, what a nice bracelet. They clean them. The Gemara says, It's like the fish uh, pools. Empty. Now one thing left. And the Egyptians give them with a smile. Enjoy, Itzik. 
enjoy Sara. It looks great on you. How can it be? Hashem made them like the Jews. If somebody likes you or hates you, Hashem press a button. He wants you to appeal to the people. It makes you sweet. He wants the people to hate you. Boom, you lose your charisma. It's written in the Torah. Who makes it happen? Hashem. So now, there is the sin of the golden calf. Moshe brings the Levim, and the Levim slaughtered 3,000 idol worshippers who dance around the golden calf. Why the Levim? They, are, they did not participate in the sin of the golden calf. Why? Two reasons. Two reasons. Why the Levim did not participate in a golden calf? One, they were all Talmidei Shiva. In Egypt, they did not work. They sat and learned Torah. They had freedom of religion. Imagine in the middle of the Holocaust, the Nazis will take all the Jews to ghettos and to camps, but they exclude Talmidei Yeshivot. You learn in Yeshiva? Where? Berlin. What's the name of Yeshiva? Ava Torah. Here, take this green card. You can go and learn Torah. Your brother is a lawyer. You're going to the camp. What are you? Doctor? To the camp. What are you? I sell fish. To the camp. What are you? I'm in Talmud Torah. Go back to the Torah. What are the odds that something like this can happen? It happened in Egypt. The, they had freedom of religion. And also the concept of tax exempt comes from that. Yosef gave all the priests of religion that practice in Egypt freedom from paying taxes. And he did not take their property. And they didn't have to pay percentage to power. Freedom of religion. All kinds of religions. In the, same thing in America. Buddhists, uh, Christian, Muslim, Jews. Uh, tax exam. Non-profit organization, congregation. Can collect donations, give receipts. What do you think? This idea came from where? From the Torah. Where do you think the Goim got this idea? It's written in the Torah. Yosef HaTzadik. He is the funder of all this. All the donations that were given ever in America, he has a share in it. A lot of Jews give donations only because it's tax exam, tax deductible. It takes away 40% from on their tax. So if they give a million dollars a year, they really like gave 600. Because 400 they would lose anyway for taxes. Plus, they get great reputation among the society. It gives them, uh, you know, a lot of greatness and pleasure. So it's great. Imagine if there would not be tax deduction. Would people give the same amount? I, my guess would be that 80% of the donations would stop right there. The small donation will continue. $10, $5, $50. Okay, no big deal. Nobody even asks receipts for small amounts. But the big amounts... All these big billionaires that give a million here, two million there, five million there, would they give it to you without the tax exam? Forget about it. So the government of the United States, in a way, has also a share in a lot of these contributions. 
then they actually allow it to be deducted on a tax exempt. But it all goes to the first one, which is Yosef. This is his merit. Second reason why Shevet Levi did not participate, they did not have gold to give. Who got gold? Only those who were slaves. Ka'asher ya'anu token yirbe v'chen ifrotz. Shevet Levi was the smallest tribe. Why? They did not multiply. Only the ones that suffered multiplied. And got paid. Go to the Egyptian and take everything they have. Shevet Levi did not work. They didn't get anything. So when everybody ran to give, they didn't know what to give. The question is, we already explained, if you remember last week, about, about the people when, they, when, they, when Aaron told them, go get the earrings and this from, from go, they should have had a lot of gold, but they gave all the gold to the Mishkan, which yesterday was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. What's the specialty about Rosh Chodesh Nisan? It was the day that the Mishkan was open. First portable temple, house of God, the grand opening was yesterday. Rosh Chodesh Nisan. This month is a very happy month. First, the grand opening of the Mishkan. Then you have Passover, the salvation. The entire month of Nisan, you do not make confessions. And no eulogies, and no mornings. Not the same morning like the rest of the year. There's a lot of differences. All year, all a month, you don't say, Rashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazanu, the entire month. And if there's a funeral, no eulogies. <laughs> and if your side, no eulogies. Some say you're allowed to go to the cemetery. Some say you're not allowed. You can go, but no eulogies. Meaning don't make anyone cry. Don't bring people to cry like the rest of the year you do. The month of Nisan. So Rosh Chodesh Nisan, something amazing happened. That's why it's a very special day. I should have told you that last week. Now it's a little bit late. It was yesterday. It's a very special day. Why? Fire came up, came down from heaven directly on the altar. The fire that we made over here and the fire from Hashem kissed, merged into one. To show you Hashem is with you on a mitzvah. When did they finish the Mishkan? Bnei Israel, when they built the Mishkan, everybody participated, men, women, everybody prepared what they needed. They were not allowed to walk on Shabbat. The 39 restrictions of Shabbat, we learn from who? From the Mishkan. Everything that Hashem said to Moshe to prepare for the Mishkan, 39 different things, uh, uh, art, artwork, 39 things are not permitted on Shabbat. So the question is, when everybody worked very fast, when did they actually ready, they were ready with the Mishkan, the Mishkan was ready. When? What date? Who knows? Chaf Hei Kislev, 25th day of Kislev, which is? What date we have on that day? Chanukah. Meaning already in Chanukah, beginning of Chanukah, there was no Chanukah yet. But in the date of Chanukah already, they had the Mishkan ready. So if they were on the 25th of Kislev, what do we have? Tishrei, Cheshvan, 
כסלב, that's the third month of the year, right? כסלב, קשרי חשוון כסלב, now we have טבת, שבט, אדר, right? ניסן. So we have another three months and five days, 95 more days. They waited, and in Rosh Chodesh Nisan, they put up the tent and prepared everything, and that's how, they, that's how it all started. Shechina came, everything. Why, why, why were they rushing when there were three more months left to finish the job? You know how in America you ask someone, can you rush? Can you please rush? Why? Why do you need me to rush? We don't have time. We need, to, we need a medical exam soon. No, sir, it's three weeks. Three weeks? If I will be alive by three weeks. I need it right away. Well, if you wanted to come in one week, you have to pay $500 to rush it. Meaning after you pay $500, it still take a week. Why? America. It can be done in three, four hours. But you know how it is in America. If you don't know, go to Home Depot and try to find a help. You're looking for something among million things on the shelves. You go to the customer service, excuse me, can you have someone to help me? What aisle you are? Aisle six. Okay, I'll call. Assistant, please, to aisle six. One, 1.15, 1.30, 2.40. Four o'clock. Excuse me, ma'am. I'm already from one o'clock already there. Wait, I'm, I need five schools here. This is the sample. Can you send someone to help me? Finally, somebody shows up. <laughs> Sir, can I get help? Don't you see I'm with a customer? Wait, where is the customer? Shh, wait. Already five o'clock. Baruch Hashem, you came on Shachrit, you finish Arvit over there. Why? American style. Sir, it's lunchtime. How long lunchtime? From 12 to 2. May we never need help in those stores. You need assistance? In some places, when you walk in, before you even walk in, sir, can I help you? What's the difference? Who knows? Why in some stores, before you even walk in, they're not even sure you're walking into the store. You just want, sir, can I, can I help you? When it's their own business, they run to even brush your shoes. Why? Not because they want to give you a service, they want to make money. But the guy in Home Depot that makes $15 an hour, probably after taxes, is left with the eight or nine, I don't know how much. What, 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 what does he care? Let the store get burned. doesn't care about you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very simple. When, in today's world, it's all about what's in it for me. That's what the stipler say. It used to be, how do I elevate myself for the sake of Hashem? Today religion became, what's in it for me? Remember what I told you last week? I gave you a beautiful analogy. One person came to the forest and he saw, what's the name of it? Bullseye. 
bullseyes, hundreds of them, and an arrow right in the middle, in all of them. Wow. Probably Robin Hood lives here. What a shooter. Born an arrow right in the middle. He looked around and he found him. Hey, Robin Hood, how do you shoot so well? He said, let me show you. First I shoot the, the arrow into the tree. Then I take the bullseye and stick it in the middle. The other way around, meaning first the arrow went into the tree, then they bring the target and they put it over there. What's the nimshal here? What do you learn from here? First, what do I want for myself? Now let's adjust the religion to match my need and my desire. That's how it is. That's why in religious argument, I can tell you 99% of the time what each person would say. Depend who is the person. For instance, if it's a woman that wears a wig, as opposed to a woman that does not wear a wig, and the topic of the lecture would be if, if wigs permitted or not, what would be the opinion of the one that wear a wig? Of course, it's mitzvah, it's Kiddush Hashem. I don't want to be shmate, look like this, you know. It's the 21st century, it's Kiddush Hashem, that they see the Jews dress very nice and, you know, should not be ashamed. What, should I be less than the women who works with me in a, in a school just because I'm religious? What? I cover my hair, that's the mitzvah. And what will be the opinion of the one who cover herself, mamash? Now one hair comes out. Wow, it's chilul Hashem, it's from Avodah Zarah, it's pritzus. What is this? This is the way Hashem wanted us to cover the hair. You should be shame of yourself. What, you call yourself religious? Why it's always going to be like that? You usually don't find a woman that covered her fully that she's pro-wigs. <laughs> or women that is, you know, putting a wig that she's against wigs. Everybody made up his mind what he wants. And based on his choice, he chose how to argue. You understand? I'll give you an example. A person that sells cigarettes. He has a store sell cigarettes. You ask him, hey Mendel, you're chassid. Don't you know according to Allah, you're not allowed to sell cigarettes to people, it kills people? Cigarettes kills. There's no question about it. What are you talking about? If they don't buy from me, they buy somewhere else. I'm not the reason they die. They should stop smoking. It's my problem. And besides, it's not so simple that you claim that cigarettes kill. It's good for the stomach. You know, people that have problems in the stomach, it helps, uh, you know, the food to be digested. Don't you see in a, in a bathroom a lot of people smoke? It helps, it helps them to clean the stomach. He will find every possible way to justify what he does. If he heard there's one rabbi without cigarette, wow, he will jump on it. If he's Ashkenazi, he will always argue that bet yourself is too much, you're too strict. Come on, don't be fanatic. If it's Faradi, he will always argue if you don't eat bet yourself, you eat a ref. You're a goy, shegetz, 
What are you eating non-kosher meat? I cannot eat in your house. The dishes are treif. By the way, it's not so simple. Rav Ovadia Yosef Zatzal, in one of his speeches in Yerushalayim, no, in Bnei Brak, it was in Bnei Brak, there used to be a lot of boys from Ponovich, Ashkenazim, used to come to Irim. Yeah, a super brilliant Talmid Chacham. They enjoy the shiurim. And one of the shiurim, he read in Shulchan Aruch, that you must eat Bet Yosef, Chalak meat. Not just glad, has to be Bet Yosef. And he said, according to Shulchan Aruch, anyone who eats not Bet Yosef is like eating non-kosher meat at all. According to Rabbi Yosef Karo, the Shulchan Aruch is taref legamri. Like you're eating meat in McDonald's. When these Ashkenazi boys heard that, Baruch Hashem, back then there was no politics like today, I guess. They ran to the yeshiva, Ponovich, and they stopped eating meat. They said, why you don't eat? Dozens of boys don't eat meat. So we went to Rav Ovadia Yosef, according to Shulchan Aruch, it's taref. We don't want to risk ourselves. Maybe he's right, we eat taref. They came to Rav Shach. Rav Shach was the Rosh Yeshiva. He said, well, what's going to happen now? Nobody wants to eat meat here in Yeshiva. Rav Shach said, they're right. They started to serve Bet Yosef Chalak in Ponovich. Why? Because back then, I guess, people cared about the truth, not who said it. My, my own rabbi or the other rabbi? Or Svaradi or Ashkenazi or Hasid? I guess they were above these stupid politics. What is the argument? One say kosher, one say not kosher. It's 50-50. Maybe he's right. One time, there's uh, an argument if you can open... Uh, the bottles of seltzer on Shabbos, because it has a ring on the cover. It separates. There's an argument if you're allowed to do it on Shabbat or not. Rav Ovadia says it's allowed, Rav Eliashiv says it's not allowed on Shabbat. So one person says, oh, okay, so Rav Ovadia says it's allowed. So my rabbi told him, I don't understand. But Rav Eliashiv said that it's Chilul Shabbat. There is a biggest rabbi in the world in Halacha. According to him, you're Mechalel Shabbat. It's like lighting fire. So, you're willing to live with that doubt? Same thing, Shabbat. When does Shabbat end? 45 minutes after sunset? In most synagogues, modern one, yes. According to Rabbeinu Tam and Shulchan Aruch, it has to be 72 minutes after sunset. Rabbeinu Tam. Ah, we're not that machmir. He's already with a cigarette on his ear. 45 minutes, he's dying already. 42. Wow, three more minutes. Wow. And the chazan. Shir lamalot, the sign. No, no, kvar already. The cigarette is already. Up, Shabbat. 10, 9. Already? Whoa. The cigarette is his boss, runs his life. Now imagine a second before he light the cigarette. Hey, sir, according to Shulchan Aruch, if you light the cigarette right now, you deserve death by stoning and a permanent cut for your soul for eternity. You're Mechalel Shabbat 100%. You're not afraid? But the, the rabbi from the university in Manhattan said it's perfectly fine. He himself, like the Avdala candle. 
Okay. But hundreds of others say right now it's Shabbat. Gdolei Torah. Plus, if you, walk, if you walk outside, especially in the summer, and you look up to the sky 45 minutes after sunset, it's complete day. The sky is blue, no question about it. It's not black, it's blue. You can see the top of the trees and the sky, two different colors. The trees are black or green, dark green, and the sky is blue. You can see the difference. After 60 minutes, it's already dark. Before 60 minutes is mamash life risk. So how can you not, how you not afraid? It's Isur Karet. We're not talking about rabbinical halacha. That if you come to Shamaim, you say, okay, some rabbi said this, some rabbi said that. Safek de Rabbanan, lekula. There's argument about the rabbinical halacha, you can go to the lenient. But when it's an argument about Torah halacha, you must go to the strict one. This is just an example. The smokers will argue against the Rabbeinu Tam. Nothing to do with the truth. I need to win the argument that I can light my cigarette half an hour earlier on Motsi Shabbos. So because I'm addicted to cigarettes, my truth is that Shabbat finished 45 minutes after Shkia. I don't care about Rabbeinu Tam, and I don't care about Rabbi Yosef Karo, and I don't care about Satmer, and I don't care about the university rabbi. The same way I don't care about him, I don't care about him. I care about my cigarette. And since I need a cigarette now, I'm going to convince you that it's perfectly fine, according to Halakha, to light cigarette 45 minutes after Shkia. Why? Because that's what I want. It's nothing to do with the truth. I can care less who's right. I have who to count on? Baruch Hashem. Right or wrong? That's how it goes. Everything is according to what I want to do. The Torah said the exact opposite. First, find the truth, and now work on yourself to adjust yourself to follow the truth. Sometimes you were already following the truth. Sometimes you just discover you don't. So if you don't, in that case, what are you going to do? Change your bad habits. But it's very difficult. Let's see the words of Rabbeinu Yosef Chaim. Who is Rabbeinu Yosef Chaim, you know? Rabbeinu Yosef where did he live? In Baghdad. Hundred years ago. He had a big synagogue, huge. Ten thousand people came to hear him on a Shabbat speech with no microphone. And everybody heard. Ten thousand people, like sardines, no microphone. There were no microphones a hundred years ago. And anyway, you're not allowed to use microphone on Shabbat anyway, so what difference does it make? Let's see what does it mean Asher Pasach al Bate Beit Bnei Israel Bemitzrayim Benokpo et Mitzrayim. Hashem skipped the houses of the Jewish people as he striked on the houses of the Egyptian. The Ben Ishchai say in his book Ben Yoyada about the Gemara in Masechet Baba Kama, page 50. Tanura Banan. 
מעשה בביתו של נחוניה חופר שיחין. There was a man, his name was Nechunia. What was his act? He was digging holes in the ground, pits, to make them full of rain. When the holidays come, people can come to Jerusalem and they have water. Like wells. Public wells. They didn't have faucet like today. You come to any public bathroom, press a button, and clean water comes out. Life was a lot more complicated. You wanted water, you have to dig now for an hour, a hole in the ground. Oh, some water came out, I can wash my hands and eat bread. And what kind of water used to come out? Brown water. Very difficult to drink it. So, Nechunia Chofer Shichim voluntarily is going and dig holes in the ground. Big Chacham, he learns Torah all day. In between, he makes holes in the ground, water comes out, or rain fills up the holes. Why? That people from the rest of Israel will not have an excuse not to come to Jerusalem in Passover, Sukkot, and Shavuot. Why they will make an excuse not to come? They say it's very difficult. We come with our children to Jerusalem. There's no water. We stay with no water. We, can, we cannot rinse our hands. We cannot eat bread. We need to, to clean, to, to, to clean ourselves. We don't have water. How can I come to Bet HaMikdash, be eight days in, in Jerusalem, one way to get there, one way to come back, one week to get there, one week to come back, with no water, I'll die. I'm not coming to Bet HaMikdash. I don't care. But you must come. The Torah says you have to come to Bet HaMikdash, to the temple. I don't come. Why? No water. No water. So what did he do? Make sure everyone will have water. Make holes in the ground, water comes up. Top. One time, one time, his daughter fell in, in a well, in a pit. In a, there's a hole in the ground somewhere. She fell all the way down there. Very narrow also. So he meant to, to, to take water with a with bucket, with a rope, send it down and bring up water. It's not meant to go in. So it's very narrow. And water comes out. It's not so she fell all the way in. You can't even see, it's dark. She cries, little girl. They came to him. They came to Rabbi Hanina Ben Dosa. He was the tzaddik of the world. The whole world eats thanks to him, the Gemara say. And he eats carobs all weeks. They said, Rabbi, she fell. How long ago? An hour ago. He said, She's okay. Then they came an hour later. She's okay. Then they came a third hour. Three hours now. She's in a hole for three hours. Maybe she doesn't even have hair. Rabbi, she's still there. We could not take her out. He said she's out already. She's out already. They went and they checked and they asked her, how did you come out? How did you climb out? There's no stairs. She said... One animal fell inside, I climbed on his back, and I came out. Rechelim, like a big deer. They came back to the rabbi and said, what, are you a prophet and you didn't tell us? You sit here in a yeshiva and you tell us what's happening out there? How do you know? First hour you knew she didn't come out. Second hour and you still knew she's alive. Third hour she came out already. You're a prophet. 
He said, I'm not a prophet and I'm not a son of a prophet. But I know the rules of the Torah. What's the rules of the Torah? Everything Hashem does is measure for measure. A man that gives his life to go dig roll in the ground for the sake of heaven, not for money, for the sake of heaven, that people will be able to come from all over Israel to Jerusalem to the temple and they will have water. Impossible! That his own daughter will fall in one of these pits and die there. Impossible. It's the exact opposite of the rules of Hashem. That's why I wasn't worried. If you tell me she fell here, she fell into the fire, she fell in the bushes, she fell from a cliff, I would be very worried. But once you told me she fell in a pit, nothing will happen to her. Why? Mida keneged mida. The question that we have to ask, Ben Ishchai asks, what is the difference between the first two hours to the third hour? One thing he knew that she's not going to die. But how did he know first hour, second hour, and then the third hour he knew she came up? You still have to understand what happened here. Ben Yitzchai is giving us two introductions. He said the three holy fathers, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they are equal to the three poles that holds the entire world. The Gemara said, Three poles are holding the entire world. You take one of them down, the world collapses. Like a table with three legs. One, Torah learning. Two, sacrifices in Bet HaMikdash. Three, Gmilut Hasadim, kindness, charity, helping others. Those are the three foundations of the world. Avraham, what is he from the three? Kindness, Isha Chesed. He has a tent open from four directions, guests eating only for free by him, non-stop, all day, all week, all year. Isha Chesed. Yitzchak Avinu, judgment, sacrifices, slaughtering. He himself was a sacrifice as a, as a, as a son of Avram. So he is the sacrifices. Yaakov is Torah. Ishtam Yoshev Oalim. Yaakov Avinu, Learn Torah. I went to Shem Vaiver Yeshiva for 14 years. That's one introduction. Second introduction, we have the three festivals. Sukkot, Pesach, and Shavuot. They are parallel to the three fathers. Sukkot is Avraham Avinu. Why? It's all kindness. Why? Huh? Sukkot make the judgment sweeter. What is it? You need Ushpizin. Hospitality. If you don't have Ushpizin, what kind of a hug is this? Ushpizin means guests. Pesach, Yitzchak Avinu. Why? Korban Pesach, sacrifice of Passover. 
סקרפייזס. שבועות, מתן תורה. תורה, יעקב אבינו. Now we know the two introductions. After we understand that, now we understand the words of רבי חנינה בן דוסה. It says like this. Nechunia Hofer Shichin was digging holes for the people to come to Jerusalem to the, for the festivals, right? So he knew nothing will happen to her thanks to the three festivals, Pesach, Sukkot, and Shavuot. So when they came and they told him that it's already an hour since she fell, he knew that she's still okay. Why? Thanks to the holiday of Sukkot that protects her. But it's not enough to bring her up. One leg is not enough. Then when they told him the second hour is passed, he already knew that Pesach will also help her now. But it's still not enough to bring her up. But when the third hour came, and now it's Shavuot, which is the three festivals, the three fathers, he said already she probably came out. Why? The power of the Torah brought her up. They look deep. Not like us. Ah, she's not going to have hair, Rabbi. Another hour she'll die. No, no. It's all from Hashem. Everything that happens. There was a Jew named Akiva Stern. He was working for an organization named Hatamar. Date. Tamar means date. This organization is, belongs to Rabbi Eckstein. What does it do? Give food in hospital to families that staying by their relative that is sick. Like we have over here, Shabbos room, Tomche Shabbos, Bikur Cholim, I'm sorry, Bikur Cholim rooms. Your wife gives birth, you get stuck now Friday night. You arrive to the hospital before Shabbat, it's already 8 p.m. now. Oh, she finally gave birth, now you're stuck. What are you going to do? You can't drive home. You have Bikur Cholim room in most hospitals. You go, they have Chulen there, Chalas, wine. It happens to me once. They bring the meal to the room. When, I, when, my, when my son was born over 20 years ago, he was in Good Samaritan Hospital in, next to Monsi. I didn't know what to do. So well, I'm going to go now two hours walk to go home. I had a dilemma. Should I even go from one room to another? It's... More than 2,000 amad of Monsi, I didn't do a roof. Some people do a roof. They go, they put bread in the hospital before. That they'll be able to go from Monsi to the next town. I didn't know what to do. Then someone told me, ah, oh, you don't know. One religious guy over there, his wife gave birth. I think it's Hasid. Told me, I have a room with everything here. I went there. Psh, delicious, Hasid, Shulen, Kugel. <laughs> Rolls, wine, everything. Fruits even. Bottles of water. Imagine this. That's called chesed. Someone told about, and I, I don't know how the hospital gives them a room for that. It's very interesting. Huh? Very interesting. Anyway, so, so this uh, Rav Eckstein had this organization. They give food to families that stuck in a hospital. Now listen to the story. Last Friday, he's been telling a story a few years ago. Last Friday, I got a phone call from Mishpachat Yecheskel. Yecheskel, last name, is from what country? Yeah. Iraq. Every last name that it's a first name is Iraqi. Ovadia, Yosef, David, 
יחזקאל, לעול עיראקי. When you have last name Shalom, Iraqi. Last name Yosef, Iraqi. Remember this. The Iraqi, their last name is a private name. Top. So, Yechezkel, Mishpachat Yechezkel, their son is in Tipul Nimratz in Tel Hashomer Hospital in Israel. They ask me to take care of food for them for Shabbat because they will be stuck in a hospital. Of course, I fulfill the request. I prepare all the food they need. I went to the hospital to bring it to, their, to his parents, to the boy. When I met the parents, the mother told me why they are in such a bad section in a hospital. The story shocked me. Listen. Yesterday, last night, her son Shaul drowned in a pool in Or Yehuda. Drowned completely. The ambulance came, tried to revive the boy, but they could not. After an hour of giving him electric shots, air, trying to do everything to revive him, the paramedics said to the mother, the way it looks, there's no chance your son is going to wake up and leave. Even if a miracle will happen by now, it's going to be a brain damage for sure. An hour like this to be dead? They took the, the boy to the hospital and he gets oxygen. They put oxygen on his face. They arrive to the hospital and the mother, in a situation like this, when a mother sees her little boy in such situation, can she think? Can she breathe? Or she scream and panic and pull her hair and runs like crazy from side to side, jumping, crying, falling, saying all kinds of things that don't make sense. Normal, right? Normal panic. But this wife, this mother, was not panicking at all. Very calm. She sees her son is dying in front of her eyes and she's very calm. How can a mother be calm? Even a father can. Needless to say, the mother. How is she so calm? She said to the doctors, I have no doubt that my son will come back to life and live normal. They asked her, but what makes you so confident? She said, I dedicate hours every day of my life for taharat mishpacha to teach women about mikveh, about water, how important it is for women to go to the mikveh. I give them material, reading material. I beg them to go to the mikveh. Volunteerly, I give my life for this mitzvah. Free, for free, not for money. And it takes hours of my day, every day for years. Since I gave my life on mitzvah that connects to water, I'm sure my son's death will not be related to water. <coughs> Cannot be. That's what she told me. The doctors made fun at her. <laughs> Lunatic, crazy, this religious people, you know how it is. Friday morning, now the boy is in coma already. He's in coma completely. Friday morning, he opened up his eyes and came back to full conscience. He started to breathe on his own. 
They kept checking. No brain damage. They can't understand. How can it be? She told that story to Rabbi Akiva, the head of this organization, that saw the boys playing. When Rav Eckstein came to the hospital in Motsi Shabbos, right? Well, you know, well, he could not believe something like this. This boy, just a few days ago, was mamash finished, came back to life like nothing happened. Something like this happened in Great Neck. And it was documented on a camera. If it would not be in a camera, now one person in the world would believe such thing. A little kid in a nice house in Great Neck of a Bukharian family, from Great Neck, a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, this case happened. I remember telling it a few years ago. You can see in a camera, walk, 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 fell into the deep water of the pool. More than three minutes. You look, you see the time. One, two, three minutes. I go under the water 20, 30 seconds, the most I choke, that's it, can't breathe. Three minutes, it was under the water, until they found out he fell into the water, they jumped and took him out, took him out of the water, and he was dead for six more minutes. Altogether, nine minutes. They tried to revive him. You know, the mother is going crazy, screaming, nine minutes dead. According to science, six minutes a person is dead, even if he comes back to life, his brain damaged, all his memories wiped out, everything. This kid, nine minutes was dead. Three underwater and six more out of the water. Until the mother screamed, Hashem, I promise I will cover my hair. Bring me back my boy. That second he opened up his eyes. That's what happened. She screamed, I'm going to cover my hair. It was already a religious family, but the wife was not covering the hair. This became a very famous story. And they show you on the video the time on a, on a camera, security camera of the house. You see the, the second goes, one, two, three, more than three minutes under the water. How can it be? I don't, you take a million kids, you throw them under the water three minutes, I don't think one of them will come back to life. Definitely not to normal life. Plus six more minutes dead after that. It's not that they revived him right away after three minutes. What do you think? Life and death, 100% only in the end of Hashem. But Hashem makes the decisions based on what? Based on our actions, Rabotai, based on our actions. Nothing else. Now Hashem said to the Jews, make a mark with the blood on the mezuzah, on the frame of the door, that when I come and kill all those Egyptians, I will skip your homes. We have to understand, Vulkachtem agudat ezov. Azov is branches. Aesops. We call it za'atar. We grind it, za'atar. It becomes green powder. We put olive oil. 
mix it with the za'atar and a little bit lemon juice. The greatest thing on earth. We do it every Shabbat. Ah, Benji. And for Benji. You like it, right? You put the challah in. You eat it. Heaven. Unbelievable. And by the way, it's one of the healthiest things in the world. That's why the Arabs are such gorillas. Very strong. They, bring, they pick up six bricks. Jerusalem stone. One you cannot pick up. Try to pick up one. It's long like this. Thick like this. Solid rock. Comes from the rocks of Jerusalem. Six. Come. Six of them. Oh, picks it up and walks. Stronger than a donkey. One. You try to move to pick it up in the air. Wow. So heavy. Six like this. Why? Zatar is great. Gives strength and also it's great antibiotic. One of the healthiest things. But this is after you grind it. It looks like a powder. And you, it's mixed with sesame also. The Arabs, they come in a market in Jerusalem. They sell it with, with a bagel, with sesame. You dip it in the zatar. They give it to you in a little piece of paper. You dip it in. Not kosher, but that's what they do. Zatar is kosher, but their bread is not kosher. So, what happened now? So yeah, you take this, you dip it in the blood, it's like a paintbrush, and you put it by the door. We have to understand Rav Zalman Sorotskin. He has a famous book, Oznaim La Torah, Ears to the Torah. In Jerusalem you have a street, Sorotskin, a neighborhood. He says... If you want to reach a high level spiritually in life, you have to reach the top of the frame. Amashkof, that means the top one. Right? You have one on the right, one on the left, and one on top that connects them. You have to reach all the way to the top. The way to reach to the top, you have to take these Aesops. What's so special about this Zatar? It's a very low bush, very low, all the way touching the ground. You have to put your ego down. You want to reach the top? First, you have to eliminate your pride. As the Gemara says, Everyone who makes sure to put his spirit down, his ego down, Hashem for sure will elevate him to the top. As we saw with Moshe Rabbeinu, Avraham Avinu, Aaron, all the big tzaddikim, the main thing in their life was humility. When Hashem brings a person up, there is no limit to how much he can go up. When we bring ourselves up, there's a limit how much we can go up. When Hashem decided that he wants you up, not even the sky is the limit. There's no limit to how much you can go up. And Gvul, like Rav Menachem Mendel Mikotsk, the Rebbe Mikotsk, this is what he says, in a blessing, Mashpil Geim Ade Aretz, Hashem take the pride people and lower them all the way to the ground, Umagbiya Shefalim Admarom, those who are down, he brings them all the way up to the sky. Proud person, even if you bring him down, Hashem brings him down and brings him embarrassment, 
he does not get rid of his pride. He gets hurt. He gets offended. He's trying to revenge. I'm not forgiving. He's not getting rid of his pride. He doesn't ever see, wow, look what Hashem is doing to me. I better change my horrible traits. That's why it's mitzvah to bring him all the way down. There's one big rasha that decided to declare a war against Rav Ovadia Yosef a few years ago. He was very successful until that day, very famous. But he decided, I'm not less than Rav Ovadia. That's it. You're either with him or you're with me. And they begged him, stop, you're not in his league. Stop, stop, stop. Nothing helped. His pride went all the way above the sky. It doesn't stop. Every day, nonsense, lashonara, politics. Until Rav Ovadia made a video and finished him. He said horrible things about him. That's it. It was the end of his career. And not only that, he actually said to the people, you will know how to bury him deep. Mitzvah to bring him all the way down to the ground. Mamash like this. It was the first time in his life he spoke against a Jew like this. One time it happened with a shochet in Egypt that used to slaughter not correctly and feed people not kosher meat. He, he removed him from his job. Years later, when Rav Ovadia was Dayan in Petah Tikva, he found somebody came to him and said, somebody is slaughtering uh, animals and Mamash, it's crazy how he does it. Rav Ovadia says, go, go and check what's his name. When he found that it's the same one from Egypt, he called up the Ashgacha and said, fire him. He feed people not kosher meat. The guy came with a gun to his office, pointed to his head. If you don't give me an approval letter now and cancel what you say about me, I shoot you now. Rav Ovadia said, you can shoot me, but I'm not going to make people eat non-kosher meat because of you. <laughs> that was it. So one time, and the second time was this incident, a few years ago. I want to tell you something. 35 years ago, Rav Ben-Zion Abba Shaul Zatzal gave a speech. In his speech, he said something shocking. This was 35 years ago. 35 years ago. He said there are five rabbis in the world that knows the entire Torah, everything. It's not one thing in the Torah that they're not fully knowledgeable in. Kabbalistic, whatever you want. Any book you can think of. Any Gemara, any Mishnah, any Zohar, any Halakha, Rambam, Rishonim, Achronim, every beep that was ever told about any subject, they were and they're fully knowledgeable in it by heart. They don't need to go and check in the books. And they are, in the Torah, have more than a million topics. Every detail they know. Five in the whole world. One, the stipler. The father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Second, Rav Ovadia Yosef. Remember, this was 35 years ago. Rav Ovadia passed seven years ago, age 93. Today, he should have been 100 years old. Minus 35, that means Rav Ovadia was only 65 years old. Back then, I already knew the whole Torah. Every topic in the Torah was like a, like a rent game. 
רב בן ציון, אבא שאול said, we used to learn חברותא in פורת יוסף, when we were young, we used to walk, every page of the Gemara, רב עובדיה would say by heart, no matter what page I bring, he knows the page by heart, on the way, and on the way back, that we used to learn the pages when we walk, he knew everything. So then Rav Ovadia was there when Rav Ben Zion gave the, the, the speech, and Rav Ovadia said, it's, it's true, I was remembering all the pages, but he is the deepest brain you will ever find in the world. No one can go deeper than him. And that was also true. He is known as the sharpest rabbi on earth. His brain was super, super, super computer sharp. Unbelievable. Every one of the students, if the students became big rabbis, they say, no matter how great you see we will ever be, we still don't go to 5% of Rabbi Tzion Abba Shaul in his brain. The way his brain was, was thinking. Not one second his eyes did not move. He could not stop about thinking about Torah for a minute a day. My cousin asked him, does any mitzvah, it's hard for you to keep? He told him, I don't know how it's possible to sit a few minutes in a bathroom every day without thinking about Torah. I have to fight with myself not to learn Torah when I'm in a bathroom, because it's not allowed. So, the stipler, Rav Ovadia Yosef, Rav Kreuzert, there was one big Ashkenazi rabbi, Rav Kreuzert, Rav Eliashiv, Rav Eliashiv, and Rav Chaim Kanievsky. 35 years, Rav Chaim Kanievsky today is 92 or 93 years old. The duck 35 years from that, he was 57 years old only. Young. Probably only started to have gray hair. 57! He knew the whole Torah. The one who went... Now, all the people, all these crazy people constantly demonstrate this. The rabbis don't know. They told them scary about the vaccines. Rav Chaim Kanievsky ruled everybody must take the vaccine. Not allow. Must take the vaccine. People say he doesn't know. They fooled him. <laughs> they didn't tell him. This is the top authority in Torah in the whole world. The top. The biggest. This, when he was already... 57, he was already the biggest in the world. Him and Rav Eliashiv and Rav Ovadia. Now there's no Rav Eliashiv. There is no Rav Ovadia. Who's left? Rav Chaim Kanievsky plus 35 years of knowledge. Finished the Shas hundreds of times. The Talmud. All the Talmud he knows by heart. You take a needle. Take a needle. Take any Gemara you want. Open. Stick the needle through all the pages. Make a hole. Take a screw. Make a hole. Before you turn the page, it will tell you in what word in the next page the needle made a hole. Every, every, every word, every Rashi, you don't understand. It's unhuman. This is the chief rabbi of the world. Saradi Ashkenazi, doesn't matter. Stop authority in Torah. And you have clowns that don't know how to read Hebrew. Clowns. Some of them give lectures in YouTube. No, the rabbis don't know. Who say I should listen to him? The Torah say you must listen to Gdole Ador. But that's the problem. Everyone with his ego like a balloon, 
zero knowledge, the, the ego is all the way from here to the seventh heaven, his ego. So this guy thought he's an authority to be a competition to Rav Ovadia. Do you understand? This is what's happening. This is what's happening here. What's happening when a person has ego? There's no limit to how stupid he can talk and be an act. Unbelievable. So this is, again, remember, so Rav Ben Sion said there's five in the whole world. So Rav Ovadia later say he's so humble that he did not include himself also. But he also knew everything, anything you can talk to him about in the Torah. But he will never include himself in a list. But this is just to show you what kind of people lived in our days. Don't, oh, that was 2,000 years ago. It was a different world. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Akiva, even 800 years ago, Rashi, Rambam, we're not in that, in, in that world. In our days, you had people like this. You know, there's a yeshiva I speak to in Herzliya. Herzliya. It's for Balei Tshuva, but young ones. There's one Ethiopian black guy. Ethiopian. I think he was born in Israel. His parents came from Ethiopia. He, when I spoke there, he was 16 years old. Already finished the Talmud twice. The whole Talmud. 16 years old. People don't do it when they're 70. They said... In two, three more years, he's gonna have to be, we're gonna have to open him a yeshiva. He's gonna become a Rosh Yeshiva before he's 20. Rav Ovadia, when he was 11, he was already wearing every topic in the Talmud. His father went to, to Baghdad on a business trip. He said to him, I'm gonna keep you, I'm gonna put you to sit in yeshiva. Wait here for a few hours until I go to the market, finish my errands. I come pick you up. Sit here, read some Mishnayot, Gemara. There was a yeshiva of adults, the biggest rabbi of Baghdad. The Rosh Yeshiva over there was a giant, holy, holy, holy Chacham. We're talking one generation after the Ben Ishchai. This is people that learned by the Ben Ishchai. His name was Rav Salman Chugi Abudi. Big, big, giant Chacham, the, the, the head of the rabbis of Baghdad. He was giving shiur in the highest level in Gemara to all the adults over there. He asked them a question nobody knew. Then he see this boy, 11 years old. He asked him, can I answer? <laughs> they all laughed. <laughs> can you answer? Nobody here understands the, 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 the answer. He gave them the whole answer. They got the shock of their life. He said, who are you? Where are you from? I said, I'm from Eretz Israel. So while his father was still there for a week or two, or I don't know exactly how much time, he wanted to learn with him Chevruta, the Rosh Yeshiva. The big Chacham was sitting with Ovadia, the boy, 11 years old, learning with him Chevruta. 11 years old. This is the, 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 the holiest people that an eye can ever see. And you have some fools, some clowns, who barely know one page in a Gemara to explain. One, like that one that went against Rav Ovadia. One page you cannot explain. In all Shas. Fully. With full understanding. And he said, I'm also, I'm also a big one. Do you understand what ego does to a person? 
That's what's going on, Rabotai. So, I was telling you a story. The uh, Rashash, Rabbi Shalom Sharabi, was a Yemenite big Kabbalist from Yemen. When, when did he live? 250 years ago. He came from Yemen to Eretz Israel and went to the yeshiva of the Kabbalist in Bet El, close to Jerusalem there. And say, can I get a job as a janitor? I clean the bathroom, I serve tea, I clean the kitchen, I fix the benches every day. He him a few, few shekels. And he was the cleaning guy. Every day they had questions, they get, they get stuck, they don't know the answers. If they write it down, we'll try to figure it out tomorrow. They, he doesn't tell them who he is. And he's the biggest Kabbalist in the world. At night, he was writing all the answers and put it in the book of the rabbi. The rabbi comes in the morning, all the questions of yesterday were answered. So, wow. I think Hashem is so happy from our learning that he sends us Eliyahu Navi, Elijah the prophet, to give us answers to our questions. The rabbi had a daughter, clever girl. She said, ah, Eliyahu Navi doesn't come so easy. I'm going to hide in yeshiva all night. I want to see who really puts the page in a, in, a, in, a, in a book. She was hiding all night. He looked around, the, the cleaning man, write down all the answers, put it in a book. The girl said to, the, to her father, you know who answered all your questions? The janitor. <laughs> the cleaning guy cleans the bathroom. He is the one who gives you all the answers. He said to her, are you out of your mind? He doesn't even know how to read and write. He came from Yaman. He's a cleaning man. He doesn't know anything. She said to him, you don't believe me? Come hide with me tonight. Both of them went. They were hiding. Again, he takes a paper with, with a feather. Yeah, they start to write. All the answers, put it inside the book. He came out. Rabbi Shalom, you're pretending you're an ignorant? You're an ignorant Jew and you're the, the biggest chacham on earth? Why did you do such thing? We're using you, we're giving you orders to clean, to serve us tea. We're not allowed to use Talmud Chacham to be a janitor. It's a big, big avon to do such thing. He said, I didn't want anyone to know about me. I guess now Hashem wants me to be revealed to the world. You tricked me, but I guess it's all from Hashem. So now I want to ask you a question. If a story like this would happen today, Today, you are, Rosh, you are a Rosh Yeshiva. Let's think about ourselves. Us and our ego. You have a Yeshiva. You are important. Everyone admire you. You teach. You give classes. Kvod Arav, Kvod Arav. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Kvod Arav, give me a bracha. Kvod Arav, how can I help? You're the king of the world. Now you just found out the cleaning guy that came from Russia, from Uzbekistan, from Yemen, who cares where, from some country, barely speaks the language, cleaning the bathroom, cleaning the windows, he is actually bigger rabbi than you. 
but he was hiding himself, serving you tea every day, cleaning the bathroom for you. What would be your reaction? The rabbi in a story, he told him, Rabbi Shalom, you cannot be a janitor. You, as of now, is the new Rosh Yeshiva, instead of me. Here is the job, it's all yours. I will announce tomorrow, that's it. We all do what you tell us. You're the biggest chacham. You know what I don't know. You deserve to be the king. Today, I tell you how it would be. Hey, Rabbi Shalom, somebody like you cannot clean bathroom and serve tea. Bezrat Hashem, I have some money in a congregation. I'll buy you a ticket. Bezrat Hashem, we'll send you back to Yemen. You go over there, we'll give you enough money, you open yourself a small yeshiva over there. Yeah, we'll buy you, maybe we'll get you a donkey to take you around. You cannot be over here, you know, I mean, what are we going to do with you? You cannot be Rosh Yeshiva. He definitely will not offer him his job. He will do everything he can to send him back to where he came from, because as long as he's around, I'm a monkey compared to him. <laughs> and everyone will know it. But back then it was different. It was all for Hashem. You're much bigger chacham than me. How can I be Rosh Yeshiva here? i going to be a student. You sit here, and I go down and sit there. And I raise my finger. Kvod Arav, can I ask a question? Yesterday you were the head of the whole place. Now I'm a regular student. Why? That's the way of the Torah. Yo, you... Never exist in a story. You have to cancel the word I. The word Ani, it's illegal. It's, I'm nothing. Dust in the wind. So now, the Rashash, Rabbi Shalom Sharabi, nobody knew who he is. He was walking around in the world, hiding himself. He was a janitor. Who was his boss? He was actually a servant of somebody, rich man, Shaul Farhi. There's, there's few Farhi I know here in Brooklyn. Shaul Farhi. While he was off the job serving Shaul Farhi, he was going sitting in a corner there learning. Uh, you know, like sometimes you see an old person barely know how to learn. He sits on the side, read Tehillim, read a little bit maybe from Barashat HaShavuha. Yeah, nobody pays attention to it. So, after they found out that this janitor, the servant, is holy and a big tzaddik, he begged them not to tell the story. Please, don't tell anyone I know. Rabbi, please. And said to the girl, I don't want to be found. I don't want people to know I'm, I'm knowledgeable. The gvir, the master, one time needed to go with his carriage. And he said to him, Prepare the horses before they knew he is. And, and, and the Rashash, he prepared the horses. When he was sitting as being like the driver, he was thinking about some Torah thing, and the horses started to go off the road. Why? Because his mind was in Kabbalah. He was doing Yehudim, all kinds of things. The horses started to run fast, very fast. And he didn't feel anything. He was, he was very young. Very, very young. His mind was in, a, in Torah mode. The rich man started to scream, panicking. 
שלום! גרב דה ריינס! שלום, גרב דה ריינס! And moved forward towards him. He's so angry. He gave him such a smack to his face to wake him up from his dream. They did not say anything. Just give a smack to the holiest person in the world. Some say he was a reincarnation of the Ariya Kadosh. Why would the Ariya Kadosh have to come back? Because he died very young. because he told them divine secret that he had no permission to tell them. And they kept begging him, tell us, tell us, tell us, I'm not allowed. No, tell us. As soon as he told them, he died. He was 39 years old. But he said to them, now I have to die, but I will ask Hashem permission to come back to the world and help the world. And 200 years later, the Rashash came. Same thing, Kabbalist. So... They went home after, Baruch Hashem, this incident finished. Years later, when the name of the Rashash was famous, that he's actually the holiest person on earth, the rich guy, Farhi, almost dropped dead. He was my servant. The holiest person in the world was my servant, and I gave him a smack. He ran quickly. walked into his room with tears, went on his knees. Holy Rabbi, how can I ever have forgiveness for making you my servant, someone like me? Businessman, don't know any Torah, nothing, and I smacked you. I, I have no day and no night. I have no life. The Rashash started to smile. He said, but you didn't know who I am. It's not your fault. Don't, you don't have to torture yourself. Actually, I owe you a favor. Well, you gave me a job. And I did not know how to ride horses. <laughs> you actually, I, I'm so grateful to you. Somebody else would not even give me this job. I never, ever, ever had any bad feeling about you for the smack you gave me. But the rich man still could not believe. He was all panicking. He could not believe how humble a person can be. So he said to him, I will make repentance for what I did. From now on, all the expenses of the Kabbalist Yeshiva in Bet El, it's all on me. Don't have ever to worry about fundraising. And this Shaul Farhi, became the sponsor of the entire yeshiva. So actually, that smack that he got tried to save their life because he did not tell him, you just smacked the most important person on earth and you won't live another week. He did not say a word. That's how humble he was. His humility brought him In our days, millions of dollars over the years to maintain a yeshiva. For one smack that you'd not say, I, did you know who you just hit? Let me show you who I am. Nothing. I'm sorry, sir, you're right. I lost my mind.
today. You speak about all, uh, one of these clowns. Ooh, wow, he touched his ego. What can happen to you? Call all his friends from the university. Let's write a letter. We all have to participate. Revenge. Touch his ego. We have a famous question. HaKadosh Baruch say, I walked in Egypt that night and hit every firstborn of Egypt. Me and not an angel. Me and not Saraf. What Saraf is? What does it mean, Saraf? Sarafim. Angels that are so holy that they are 100% fire. You come near them, you go on fire. That's a world of the Sarafim. Very, very scary. Ani velo shaliach, me and not a messenger. On the other hand, Hashem said to them, put blood on a, put blood on a frame of the door, door frame, that the mashchit, the angel of death, will not be able to touch you and not to kill Jews. So the question is, so who killed the firstborn? The angel of death? Or God? It looks like a contradiction. The answer is, Rabotai, look, every tiny question is mentioned. Did not leave one dilemma out. That night, every night Jews are dying in the world. Every night. We have millions of people. We have a few people that die every day. There's no day that nobody dies. Old people die, sick people die, accidents. There's always death. Every day there's death. That night was the only night ever that Hashem made sure that no one will die. Why? The Egyptians will not say, oh, I saw the neighbor, the Jew, he also died. They have a funeral here, the Jews. Hashem made sure that even people that the angel of death was supposed to go and take their soul out that night, he put him one day on hold. Don't do it tonight, do it tomorrow. That's why I did not give the mashchit, the angel of death, permission to take anyone's soul out that night. I personally killed all these enemies of you, these Egyptian Nazis, for everything they did to you. But at the same time, I also commanded the angel of death not to take one soul out from the Jewish nation that night. So therefore, it was a double simcha. The enemies of Israel, these Nazis are dying. And at the same time, now one Jew died that night. Why? That they don't have any doubt that it's 100% a punishment for Hashem. And in some homes, few kids died. How come? You have 10 kids in the house, three of them died. But didn't we just say that only firstborn died? So how come three died? Each one from, is a firstborn from a different man. Different man, New York style. She have a kid from him, a kid from him, and a kid from him. So she has three babies in the house. She collect child support from John, collect child support from Chris, and collect child support from Jerome. Three husbands give her $2,000, $2,000. She lives like a queen. 
three babies eat peanut butter with jelly. She has $6,000 budget, another 4000 from the government, Section 8, food stamps, everything. Wow. Queen Latifa. Enjoy the world. There is such thing, Latifa. Queen Latifa. Where did I hear this word from? Huh? Fridental. Baruch Hashem. Enjoy the life. Why? She has three firstborns. She's lucky she's not Egyptian. Imagine there would be Makat Bechorot. In one shot, $6,000 plus $4,000 from Sleepy Joe will go down the drain. Why? Well, now you don't have kids. Why you want child support for? That's what happened. They cheated on their husband. She's pregnant from the first kid. Second kid is not from him. It's from somebody else. Also firstborn. All of a sudden, the father comes home. He has ten kids. By why three die by me? And everywhere else is one. Well, uh, Jerome, I'm sorry. I mean, it's time now to confess. The first one was really yours, but the other two <laughs> were not exactly your children. By the way, if you think that things like this is also happened by Goim, the Gemara said there was one woman, this 2,000 years ago, when a woman did not dare to walk on a street that someone can see an inch from her body. Even the Goyot, not only Jewish women, the Goyot, nobody would show their body on the street. It was a much, much more modest world. But the Gemara brings an unbelievable story. Even today, when the world is Sodom and Gomorrah, it's still shocking. The Gemara said, one woman had many sons, and she was telling her daughter, she has also a daughter, she said to the daughter, you have to learn from me. Let me tell you a secret. You see, you can do whatever you want. But make sure not to get caught. America, do whatever you want. Just make sure not to get caught. Because when you get caught, we do not know you. <laughs> you know how it is? CIA, you're working for us. We're sending you to Iran. But if they catch you, we have no connection to you. We cannot admit that the United States sends you to Tehran on a spying mission. You're on your own. Okay. So what happened? She said to her daughter, do whatever you want. Enjoy guys. Go. But make sure nobody ever see. You have to be clever. Look. All of my sons. Only one is from your father. Every one of them from a different man. And your father, the naive fool, he doesn't even know it. Why? Because I'm very smart. And the father happened to hear this from behind the, the wall. He just heard that. His heart broke. He was about to die, and he wrote a will. In a will he wrote, all my real estate and assets and everything belongs to my only son. That was the will. <laughs> he doesn't know which one is his son. Now they open up the will. What is this? What kind of a stupid will is this? We are seven here. Why wrote to my only son? They don't know the story, the boys. They went to the bed din now. Who was the Dayan? Rav Bna. Big Chacham. Smart. 
when he saw the wheel, he knew there's something fishy here. A man won't ride such a stupid wheel, knowing he had seven sons. So he probably suspected that only one of the boys is his and the rest are from all over. So he said to them, okay, you're right, your father did a very stupid wheel. I command each one of you to take a stick. Take a stick, like a baseball hat, a baseball bat. Go to his grave tomorrow. I want each one of you to hit the grave and say, what kind of father make a fight between his sons and write that all the wheels belongs to one and not say which one? Hit the grave 10, 20 times and come back to me tomorrow afternoon. Okay, Rabbi. They all went to the cemetery. Boom, boom. You should be shame of yourself. What kind of father you are. Top. They come the next day. They all stand in front of the Rabbi. And the Rabbi said to them, all of you did what I told you? You went to the grave? Of course, Rabbi. How? Did you hear? Believe me, I broke the grave from, from anger. You did? Yes. You did? Yes. Yes. Yeah, all of you. You see, one of them stands like this. Did you also go? He said, no. He said to him, why didn't you go? I told you that you have to do it. He said, I don't know, my heart did not let me go to my father's grave and hit. I don't care if I don't get the money. So he said, all the money of your father all belongs to you. Suck, right? That's the judge. Take everything. Wow, what's going on? We listened to you and he didn't listen and you give him everything. He said to them, a real son can never hit the grave of his real father. Impossible. I needed to know who is the real biological son of your, of your father. All of you had no problem to go hit. Why? Because you have no connection, no spiritual connection between you and this man. You are from a different man. You from a different... Go ask your mother who is your real father. But this boy is for sure the son of this man. And he takes everything. That's what the father wanted to write here. Today, Baruch Hashem, we didn't need this. We have DNA. Do a DNA, we'll see. Back then, there's no DNA. A real son cannot hit his father, cannot hit the grave of his father. This is what we have to tell ourselves. A real faithful son cannot hit Hashem. Cannot hit the Torah, cannot hit the Shabbat, cannot. If you do something here, we have to check, maybe you are Erev Rav, something doesn't add up. We'll finish with the last thing for tonight. Ach, bayom harishon, first day, tashbitu saor mi batechem, clean the chames from your home. Make sure there's no chametz. Pesach is starting. Ki kol ochel chametz. Everyone that will eat one of the five kinds of grains. Wheat, barley, oat, spelt, and rye. Rice is not chametz. Those are the five kinds of grains. Everything that have in the ingredients, wheat, barley, oat, spelt, and rye, chametz. Everyone who doesn't have it, not chametz. 
Vinegar can be done from wine, can be done from wheat also. Two different vinegars. One can be chametz, the other one cannot. So if you see the ingredients vinegar and you don't know from what, you have to assume it's chametz. Maybe it's from wheat. Wheat vinegar. So, I want you to know, grain, the actual grain is not chametz. It's only chametz after you grind it and make flour and mix it with water and let it stay like this for more than 18 minutes. Meaning, if you take flour, white flour or all wheat flour, that's not chametz. If you had a bag of flour in your house, the bag of flour is not chametz. If one drop of water or humidity will touch one of the pieces of the flour and it will rise a little bit, then you have a little chametz in there. That's why we don't hold flour in the house in Pesach. But the actual flour is not chametz. If you take flour, you put it in a bowl and put water and mix, what do you get? You get a dough. What you can make from this dough? Matzah. How do you think they make the matzot to eat? That's water and flowers. That's it. And they make sure it goes into the fire, into the oven, in less than 18 minutes from the minute the water touched the flower. Once the water and the flower touch, and they mixed it and made it a dough, it has to go to the oven within 18 minutes. Unless you keep pressing it. As long as you press it, even all day, it doesn't have to go. Why? It will never rise. When you keep pressing it, it will never rise. But when you leave it, 18 minutes you left it, that's it. It's chametz. It starts to puff. It's unbelievable. Bread and matzah, same ingredients. Only one different. One is puffy, fleshy, show off. And the other one is humble, poor, down to earth. That's the difference between chametz and matzah. One is a show-off. Look how big. It's not big, there's a lot of air in it. Take the bread, press it very hard. Take the matzah, press it very hard, see the same thing. But this, the bread is very puffing and puffing. Ooh, look how, how swollen it became. It becomes a whole challah. But the amount... Same amount. Just this one became like a cracker. Why? Because you did not let it rise. That's it. That's the difference between chametz and matzah. So you have to get rid of everything that is chametz first day. The Gemara in Masechet Psachim, in the beginning there, the Gemara say, why when we, when we are commanded to clean all the chametz, we have a restriction, bal and bal You should not see chametz, and you should not have chametz in your position. Isn't it the same? If I see something in my house, that means I have chametz. Or if I have chametz in my house, who cares if I see it or not? You can tell me, do not have chametz in your property. That's it. To actually look at the chametz, it's a sin or no? If you go to... Walmart, and you see crackers over there on a the shelf, and Pesach. Or you pass by a pizza store. Tony, the Italian pizza. You see pff, Tony, Angelo over there. Go like this with the flower. And you look at the flower. You made a scene? 
No. If you go to the Jewish kosher supermarket and they cover all the chametz with paper, and one of the paper is loose, and you see from the side pretzels, did you commit a sin? No. If you see bottles of beer in ShopRite, no problem. So what's the problem? I don't understand. What happened if you put it in your house and you sold it to a goy? And it's in a room, and you needed to take something from that room. And you went in and you saw beer there on Pesach, in your house. Did you commit a sin? It belongs to the goy. What happened if John... The AT&T technician has to come fix your phone in your house in Pesach, Chol HaMoed. Chol HaMoed. Between first Pesach to the second Shvi of Pesach, a few days of Chol HaMoed, your phone stopped to work, no Wi-Fi, nothing, you call the company, with a new technician. John comes, Hi, AT&T. Hi, how are you, sir? He eats his pepperoni pizza in your face. Last two bites. Sorry, sir, I didn't have time to eat lunch today. Walks into your house with the pizza and all the breadcrumbs fall on your rug. In the middle of Pesach. Three options. One, quickly panicking, push him out. Make him roll the stairs. Two options, scream, fire! Run out! What happened? Run, run! And he ran out. Third option, you give him a punch, you knock him out, take his pizza, throw it down the, to the incinerator. Fourth option, you ask him, hey John, can I make you something to drink? You want a paper plate for your pizza maybe? You want to eat and sit over here and eat it, enjoy it? Which one of the four is correct? I was sure you said the third one. There's no problem whatsoever. He came into your house with chametz. It's his chametz. I'm not interested in this I'm not buying it. It's not mine. Ah, bread comes falling. I make a cancellation of all the chametz, and I'm not interested in this. It belongs to him. Clean it out. No problem. So... The question now, why the Torah used two languages? Bal Bal Allegedly, it looks like one sin. Why do you need to use two different languages for the same restriction? And this is where we finish today. The Ran, Rabbeinu Nisim, hundreds of years ago. He says, we have to ask a question. Why the Torah did not say Basar Vechalav or Chazir? We don't have a restriction of Bal Yerae. Don't see, don't look at the pork meat, pepperoni pizza, dairy and meat mix. Don't look at it. Any food that is forbidden, you should have a restriction of not, not to see it. Same thing like Hametz. You have an obligation not to see your own chametz in your own property if you did not sell it to a goy. So if you see it, you have to get rid of it. You have to take it out of the house or cover it. Cover it with something until after Yom Tov. 
Why not allowed to look at it? It's yours. The problem, the question is, if you have non-kosher meat, why don't you have the same thing? You should not look at it. Any forbidden food, why only chametz? Why would the chametz, the Torah panic so much? The answer is, if you eat pork, you don't have a permanent cut for your soul, for eternity. If you eat dairy and milk, meat and milk, mix, you don't have a cut for your soul. If you eat anything you eat, dog, mouse, anything, you don't have a cut for the soul. If you eat chametz, your soul is going to be cut permanently from the afterlife for eternity. Such a disaster, such a tragedy, such a punishment, you don't play with fire. It's nuclear. It's not a conventional bomb. That's already a nuclear bomb. You close the whole area. What do you mean? It's 10 miles range. It's a nuclear. Nobody comes near. Why over here you don't close? Yeah, it's a little uh, bomb. How, how much damage it can do? Half a block. This is nuclear over here. That's Hametz. On Pesach, it's nuclear. It's going to burn your soul for eternity. Make sure it's not in your house. Make sure you don't see it. Make sure it does not trigger your desire. All of a sudden, you want a beer. You're in a mood now. Or, I don't know, whiskey or something. That's one answer. Another answer is, let's look how beautiful. The rest of the year, you are used to eat chametz every day. Every day you eat macaroni, spaghetti, bread, bagels, beer, whiskey. Almost every day in your life you eat chametz. Since it's something that you used to, you may forget it's Pesach now, Chol HaMoed. It's a regular weekday, you work. Oh, I'm hungry. You take a cookie. Oh, I forgot. Pesach. It's a habit. The Torah says, make sure it's not in your position. Get rid of it. Don't keep it around. But other food, it's not, that, it's not the same. Because you know all year around what's kosher, what's not kosher. You're already used to it. But this is kosher 51 weeks of the year. Only one week, the same thing that you eat every day become forbidden. Pork, it's forbidden all the time. Milk and, uh, and uh, meat mix, it's forbidden all the time. You will never by mistake eat it out of habit because you're religious. But chametz, sometimes you don't think. The stipler never ever remember if he eats or not. Never. Same thing Chazonish. The mind was so much in Torah. So there was one Talmud in Yeshiva. He used to bring the stipler a big cookie. Just that he'll eat something that he won't faint. But all day you don't eat anything. So he brought him a cookie. One of these round cookies. Yeah, I will keep him alive until the evening when he goes. His wife going to give him food. All days in Yeshiva learning. One time the student came. And he saw the cookies on the table. An hour after he brought it. Usually he eats it right away. Make bracha, mezonot, and eat it. He said to him, Rabbi, why didn't you eat the cookie? What are you talking about? Of course I ate it. I even made a bracha on it. If I ate the cookie or not, I never remember. That's the truth. But I remember if I made bracha or not, and I did make a bracha. 
He said, Rabbi, look at the cookie right next to you. You sure he didn't bring two? So, no, only one. What happened? From the ceiling, you know how a piece from the sheet rack fell? Yeah. Fell all the way right next to it. And because his mind was so much, he ate this lime that fell from the ceiling and didn't even feel, meaning his mind was totally out of this world. He did not feel the difference between the cookie, it's not cracker, cookie, or this. He ate it and made brachasha a call on it. And the cookie remained there. The Chazonish, son, the Chazonish, they needed to watch him because he never, he said, I never been hungry in my entire life. I don't know, I ate, I did not eat, because their mind were not here. When the mind is here, you feel things. When the mind is in a different world, nothing, you don't feel anything. I told you once, Ravovadia Yosef had a surgery in his stomach. They cut it open with no anesthesia. He said to the professor, wait a few minutes until you see me that I'm in a Gemara. When you see that I don't hear and see what's around me, you can start walking. I never believed that story. To be honest. Et ani hayom. Who say that? Et ani hayom. Sar. Sar. No. Which, which two ministers were in jail? Sazaku Baruch, Sara Mashkim. He came out and all of a sudden Paro has a dream. Nobody knows how to solve it. What did he say? It's time for me to confess about my sins. There was one Hebrew boy in jail. He solved the dream to me and Sarah of him. You really hung him as he said. And you gave, you gave me my job back as he said. He's uh, talented. Why didn't you say until now? Because I don't want the Jew to go out of jail. What do you think Rubashkin is the first case? Dreyfus was the first case in France? No. Jews always suffer because of their identity. Why? Antisemitism. Esav Sonele Yaakov. That's it. I'm confessing my sins today. What, what is my sins today? So I started to tell you a story. The Chazonish never remembered if he ate or not. They had to remind him if he ate or not. Why? Because his mind was not here. Then I heard one time the Ravovadia Yosef had a surgery and he told the doctor how long the anesthesia will work. He said, four hours you'll be sleeping until you're waking up. He said, I don't want to waste four hours of learning Torah. How long the operation takes? Half an hour. The rest you sleep until the anesthesia wears off. He said, can you do it without anesthesia? The doctor said, Rabbi, you lost your mind. I have to cut your stomach open. I'm cutting your skin open. I must put you in full anesthesia. He said, but I do not want to lose four hours of learning Torah. Why? Half an hour, I don't have a choice. You have to fix my stomach, something inside. But three and a half hours more, each hour is 60,000 mitzvot. That's more than 200,000 mitzvot. Why don't you do it without anesthesia? I said, because you'll be screaming here, faint from pain. 
So he told him, wait until I'm deep in the Gemara, then do it. When I heard that, many years ago, I said, ah, somebody made up a beautiful story, but it cannot be. Until I saw the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, with his bodyguards, walking into Avovadia Yosef's room while he was learning, like this with his books, standing next to him with the walkie-talkie, all these noises, hey, Rosh uh, HaMemshala, his grandson is there, so much noise in the room. The Prime Minister of Israel with his three bodyguards standing one step from Avovadia. It's impossible. How can you be there and you don't see the Prime Minister of Israel stand right in front of you? For minutes. In the beginning, Bibi, he did not know it's going to be now more than five minutes. <laughs> he thought it's probably ten seconds. He's thinking about something. So he said to the bodyguards, Shh, don't disturb the rabbi. <laughs> he regret this sentence until today. He was standing in front of a camera like a fool. For a few minutes, he was standing over there with the bodyguards. The rabbi does not feel he's standing there over there next to him. And his grandson, Saba, Saba, Grandpa, in a different world. Then he touched his hand. Saba, the Prime Minister of Israel, standing here. Oh, welcome. He did not feel, he did not feel that he's there. He was in a different world. He said, oh, now it makes sense. If you go to such a planet, then you obviously don't feel anything. Because it's all in the brain. The brain is in a different place. By the way, you can prove it scientifically. If you have chronic back pain, lower back pain, 80% of the people have it. On and off, sometimes all the time. If I take a hammer and bang your knee hard, wow, such sharp pain for an hour, it's going to hurt now so much. The pain in the back is gone. Until the pain of the, of the knee will die, then you're going to feel back the pain there. What happened? The brain will focus on the knee and send all the nerve, all the pain to the knee. The back is not urgent now. So it's focusing on the knee. Now you don't have pain in the back. Why? Because the brain is like a, like a captain, a captain of a boat. He needs to operate according to the emergency of the situation. He sends the pain over here. So the pain over there, you don't feel anything. It's unbelievable. Same thing in happiness and in sadness. Sadness and happiness. When a person is sad, he lost money in a stock market, a lot. $100,000. Wow, I lost so much money, half of what I had I lost. He's very upset. One week, two weeks, every day he thinks about it, especially when he hears stock market. It keeps coming back to him. What happened, God forbid, if his boy died? Accident happened. A week after he lost the money in a stock market. From the minute he found out about his tragedy, will he ever think again another minute about the pain of losing $100,000 in a stock market? No. It will look like a joke. So take a million, take 10 million, just bring me back the boy. Once his agony went to the tragedy of the boy, the tragedy of the money became not existent. Same thing in happiness. If you make now $5,000 in the stock market, you're so excited. What happened? What is so happened? Mendel, all day smiling. Wow, it was the best day I ever had in business. Wow, I made $5,000 today. Usually I work all month to make it. In one day I made it. So happy, smiling. 
What happened if 10 minutes later they call him from the government, Mendel, I, you just won the annual prize of Sleepy Joe, one and a half million dollars. Wow! He runs the street. I'm a rich man. Say, wow, yesterday you made $5,000. Enough with you nonsense, $5,000. What are you talking to me about $5,000? His mind is already in the happiness of the million and a half. He thinks, you think he has time for the $5,000? It's a joke. Why are you wasting my time? Why are you even mentioning it? It's a joke. Don't be stupid. I'm talking to you about a real happiness. You're talking to me about fun. But yesterday, all day you were smiling. Why? It was a big thing for you. Or if you have a boy after 10 years that you couldn't have kids, you care about money you made or you lost? Come on. Why are you talking to me about business now? It's the happiest day of my life. You're talking to me about winning and losing, investing. Don't talk to me about this now. Now let me enjoy the happiness of the moment. By the way, you should know, all people, almost all people, there's always some exception to the rule, but it's very rare. All, all people have bad traits. Some more, some less. Some are more angrier than others. Some are more proud. Some, okay, everyone, you can, you can see in every field, can give him a mark from zero to 100. Pride, this. Ego, uh, anger, stinginess, selfishness, ungratefulness. There's a lot of negative in each person. But obviously, Reuven and Shimon, they don't have the same level of pride. They don't have the same level of uh, jealousy. They don't have the same level of stinginess. They don't have the same level of anger. There's always going to be more or less each one of them than the other. It's never the same exact thing. Also, some things that make you angry won't make him angry and vice versa. Or generosity. Some things you're very generous on, some things you're very stingy on. Depend. So it's only Hashem knows how to measure. But one thing I tell you from life experience, when a person has bad traits and you see it every day in his behaving, show off, ego, selfishness, stuck up, put people down, if you're going to make this person very happy. How? It's another story. You bring him up to a very high level of happiness mode, all his bad character traits are gone. We're not going to see anything. It's all gone. No jealousy, no anger, no fighting with anyone. If he gives now a dollar a day, it's Daka, he's going to give a hundred in one shot. No stinginess, nothing. Why? So happy. He doesn't care about anything else anymore. Take away his happiness, he's back to the way he was. Complaining, sour face, anger, jealousy, fighting, politics, lashonara, this, that. Took away his, his happiness, every negative pops up. Give him a lot of happiness, the negative dies out. Same thing the other way around. Sadness. If person said, doesn't have good mood, is automatically complain. Everything kills him. You see someone successful, he becomes even more sad. It's not, the positive cannot come out of him. That's why when a person is sad, he loses prophecy, if he's a prophet. Hashem does not talk to him anymore. Why? He goes to a level of sadness, he loses prophecy. So it's unbelievable. 
Once a person is happy, you, you cannot believe it. He's not jealous anymore. So I told uh, one uh, woman came to me to complain that her uh, sister-in-law is very jealous with her. Always her eye on her, always wish her bad, always do things behind her back to cause her arm. And uh, she said, I don't know anymore what to do. The more I help her, the more I do for her, the more nothing helps. She always must stick the stick in my wheels. So I said, I have a solution for your problem. What's the solution? The other woman, obviously, she's very jealous with you. You have what she doesn't have. She kills herself for it. She can see you succeeding, blooming, living the life, when her life is miserable. On top of everything, in her subconscious, you don't respect her enough. She feels that you are here and she's there, and you look at her down, and you're not uh, making her any, you're not giving her any importance. That's ignite her jealousy and anger and all the bad traits ten times worse. So what are you suggesting? Change your change your behaving towards her. What? Be from this moment on, be extra nice to her, give her a lot of compliments, tell her how great she is, and wow, I wish I was like you. Wow, look at you, how you do this, how do you do this cake? Give her company, but anything you can find out. Call her, tell her how much you like her, and you would like her to do this. You're the only one I trust. Do a reverse psychology. From the minute you make her feel important, she will be your best friend. Never ever say a bad word about you. She's going to die for you. All she wants is acknowledgement. Once she will be convinced that you hold highly of her, the low self-esteem and the low confidence that she has in herself, you would make her feel more comfortable. Oh, you really think I'm great? Oh, you really think I'm the best cook? Oh, you really think I'm such an Eshet Chayil? Oh, you wish to be like me? Change everything. Only one phone call. One phone call of 20, 30 minutes. That's all change the relationship for life. Exactly as I said. She said, we are best buddies. That was her word. I said, I told you. Miserable people, that someone around them is successful because they have bad neg negative personality, the only cure for now, first aid, Obviously, you have to teach them Torah and Musar. Eventually, they get rid of the jealousy because they know it's all from Hashem. Hashem wants to give everyone what He wants to give them. There's no point of being jealous. It's against the law. But right now, it's, you can't do it overnight. See, you need first aid. You need a bandage. You're, you're dripping blood right now. Later, we worry about the, the real problem. But for right now, you need special aid. What's the special aid? Compliments. Make her feel important. Same thing in partnerships. Same thing in marriages. Same thing in raising children. You can highlight all the negative of your son. 
you this, you lazy, you don't wake up, you're such a loser, you're so stupid. How, how can you not understand? Ten times the Rebbe explained to you ten times, you still don't understand. How do I have such a stupid boy? You can make a point and you're probably even right about your claims. But what's going to happen? He's going to feel lower and lower and lower and he's gonna, the next thing is going to become the drug dealer of the town. And he's going to fill up his body with tattoos and make himself a special porcupine haircut. And he's not going to want anything to do with Judaism and marry some Fatma or Christine. Why? Because he knows he's a loser and you made sure he will know it for a few years of his life. Why would he want to be around you? So he will run away to, to an illusional world. On the other hand, there is a different way. Bring him closer. Wow, he's such a great kid. Every time he does something positive, wow, I'm so proud of you. Wow, you helped me so much today. I don't know what I would do without you. What a gift Hashem gave me. Fine, find something. Even something tiny he does. Wow, I'm so impressed. Wow, this, that. Wow, you help this, you do that. You're never jealous. You're such a good boy. Out of nowhere, you build him high uh, self-esteem, not low. Very high. You build his character. You eliminate a lot of problems. Rabotai, this is a little lesson in psychology. It's unbelievable. Ravnatan Adler Zatzal. Who was Ravnatan Adler? The Khatam Sofer Rebbe, 250 years ago. Khatam Sofer was a student of Ravnatan Adler. So Ravnatan Adler was a giant Chacham, right? If Khatam Sofer was a student and he's one of the biggest Ashkenaz rabbi ever lived, so his Rebbe is just as good as him, no? Right or wrong? Rav Nathan Adler says, it says, the Torah says, Ach, Ach means specially on a first day. Meaning before Pesach start, not after. After it's too late. You gotta clean and burn all the chametz. Why? Because everyone will eat chametz, his soul will be cut from the nation of Israel. And from the first day to the seventh day, you're not allowed to eat chametz. And people are used to eat chametz. Why did I mention Rav Nathan Adler? I'll tell you a secret. Rav Nathan Adler, I'll finish with his story. He came to the Sfaradim, to the Middle Eastern Jews. He was Hungarian in Hungary, complete Ashkenazi. That's, by the way, in the first generation of Hasidut. You have the Baal Atania, you have Baal Shem Tov, then Baal Atania, then Khatam so This is in Hungary, there was a lot of Hasidim there. It's the beginning of Hasidut. Before these Rabbanim, there was no Hasidut. Baal Shem Tov started Hasidut. So, so he came to the Sfaradim to teach him how to talk. He so said, we, the European Jews, don't know how to talk. We don't know how to daven. We don't know how to speak correctly. You lived in Mesora, in tradition, in the Middle East, where all the stories of the Torah took place. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Shvatim, it's almost in the Middle East. Avraham Avinu was from Kurdistan. Ur Kasdim. 
the Jewish, the, the glorious Jewish history of the Jews, Aram Tzova, all these places, Syria, all these areas, and in Egypt, it's all Middle Eastern places. No Jews in Europe yet. Only after they went to exile and they were in Babel, which is Iraq, hundreds of years later, Jews started to move to Ashkenaz, to France, to Germany, 1,200 years ago approximately. That's it. Before that, there was only one way of Judaism, Middle Eastern Judaism. There's no such thing, Ashkenazim. Ashkenaz, in the Lashon of the Navi, is Germany area, Europe. There was no Ashkenaz yet among Jews. It was among Goim, Goim Ashkenazim, meaning European Goim. There's no European Jews yet. Plus, he already saw that the European Jews, they are very influenced from the European Goim in every one of their customs over there. When already we speak like them, we have their accent, and we slowly, slowly are so different than the way of the Middle Eastern Jews. Plus, he knew that, for instance, Shulchan Aruch say you have to pronounce Ayn, Ah, from the throat, Ha, from the throat. Lots of letters you have to pronounce, and they see that no European Jews know how to pronounce them, but it's Halakha and Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch say you must make a difference between Haf and Chet. No Americans and no Europeans know how to do it. You have to make a difference between Aleph, Hey, and Ain. Aleph is A. Ain is A. And Hey, it's Ha. It's three different ways. Europeans and Americans, all of them is A. They don't, have a, they don't know how to say the difference between Hey, Ain, and Chetz. They don't know how to talk. So he came. I'm telling you a story. You can go and check. He came to the Sfaradim to teach him how to pray. I had a Chevruta, Schwartz his name was, Shkenazi. Many of the things he used to do like Sfaradim, like Megillat Esther comes to me every year to read by me, said these two corrections that the Ashkenazim have against the Mesorah. I was an expert in Mesorah. I read only in Sfaradim Megillah. Also, speak when he was reading in the Torah, he was practicing how to say, ah, why? He said, well, I'm not, I'm not going like Shulchan Aruch. So I have to learn how to talk. Today it's very difficult because the way you are, I have one American woman, she heard my lecture about Shema Israel. remember two months ago? It took a weeks of practicing until she finally learned how to say ah. Something that's so natural for us, the Sfaradim, it took her weeks of practice by because the way they raise them, they don't have it in their vocabulary. You don't have it here in America. You don't have it in Europe. Nobody speaks in Europe with ah. It's only Arabic. Middle Eastern, they speak ha, ah, all these letters that come from the throat. Same thing Russians. Russians have letters in Hebrew they cannot pronounce. You see, sometimes they go up to the Torah. Hungarians, instead of ha, they say ha. Right? They want to say ha, they say they change. Some Russians, they say, sometimes they go up to the Torah, they say it's a complete different word. Changed completely the meaning of the word. Well, what can you do? This is the way they are. They, that's the only language they can pronounce. In America, you have few letters that we have in Hebrew that you don't have in America. For instance, my name, Mizrahi. No Americans can say Mizrahi. Good luck trying to tell customer service when they ask you, how do you pronounce your name? You tell them Mizrahi. 
It will be 45 minutes until the Goy will try to say Mizrahi. So what do you do to save time? You say Mizrachi. Like this right away, you get to the point. You don't have time for him to learn now how to say Mizrahi. Because American cannot say Chi. It's not possible. So they either say Mizrahi, Mizraki, or Mizrachi. Which none of them is correct. But since there's no time... <laughs> You just give them anything they understand and you move on. Why? They don't have it in their language. They don't have chet in English. <sighs> they don't have. So you see, the way of speaking is the way of the Middle East. This is how it was. Why? Because the Middle Eastern people live there forever. They don't they not move from one place to another. Iraq, Kurdistan, Lebanon, Syria, all the same accent. You go to Lebanon, you go to Syria, you go to Iraq, you go to Egypt, you go to all the Middle East, same thing, everybody speak with Aacha. But you go to other countries, it's already a different story. Baruch Hashem, we have the Psak of Rav Moshe Feinstein, and everything is accepted. Hashem knows we are Nusim, we don't know how to talk. This guy grew up here, this one there. Nobody knows how to speak correctly. The question is, what's going to be when it's going to be the resurrection of the dead? When all the righteous people will come back to life. Imagine now Moshe Rabbeinu comes back to life and you're going to finally hear the original accent of Avraham Avinu. Or the Tanaim, Rabbi Akiva, or the Rambam. All these Rabbanim. It will be very interesting to see a conversation between one of the Hasidish Rebbes, Tzadik, Rebbe from Kloisenburg, one of these big Tzadikim, to the Rambam. Will they even understand a word from each other? It will be very interesting to see. Because remember, it's hundreds of years apart, it's completely different. I'm curious to see what's going to happen. It's going to be people from so many countries with different accents and different way of speaking Lashon HaKodesh. They probably can say, who? Mikvodo, and answer him in Yiddish. What is this? Who are you? What are you? Where are you from? It's going to be very interesting to see. But one very good thing is, one thing unites all of us, is the Lashon HaKodesh. When I lived in Lower East Side, I went to Daven by Hasidim the Polin. They have a shtibel there. Everybody spoke Yiddish there. Old people, they all were close to their 90s. I was in my 20s, and everybody there was old. Why did I go there? I went to a modern place in a block. Everybody talks in a davening. Everybody modern, disrespected fila. I say, you know what? I can't pray over here. I'm only getting angry. Let me check the other few old shuls here. Very, very old. I came to that little room. Everyone Hasid, 80 and older. All Bnei Torah with Gmarot, that's a different, I say, you know what, I'll pray with them. But I didn't know how to talk to them, because they only speak Yiddish. <laughs> so the only way I spoke to them was in Hebrew. But their Hebrew is not like my Hebrew. My Hebrew is a modern Hebrew. Their Hebrew is Lashon HaKodesh. They speak to me from the way they learned 80 years ago in Poland. In a cheder. They say, Vayomer Adoni. <laughs> But Baruch Hashem, I understood what they want to say. But that's the Lashon HaKodesh. Same thing by Ashkenazim. 
no matter where you are in the world, from what country you are, Yiddish unites all of them. You go to some place, you see a Hasid like you, you know, you can speak to him in Yiddish. He may speak a different language, French, you speak English, you don't know French, he doesn't speak English, Yiddish unites you. No matter what country in Europe you come, in the end the Yiddish unites everyone. When the first Zionists come and came to Israel, they also spoke Yiddish. But they were very not proud of it. Because it was a language of the exile. Now we're going to revive the Hebrew language. There was one kofer, infidel, Eliezer ben Yehuda, he decided to rewrite the Hebrew language. But the way he did it was with thousands of mistakes, some of them probably intentional. He took words of the Torah and translated them in the opposite way. So the new generations that learned this modern Hebrew, when we speak, some of the words we mean one thing, according to Torah it means the opposite. Why did they do it? Either they were ignorant and they did not know what they're doing, or they did it on purpose to mislead the entire generation. That you come to Hashem and beg Him for mercy, and you actually ask Hashem to curse you. You understand? Similar to what I told you, when you speak in Hasidish Havara, you say to Hashem, Shaketz teshaketzeini v'taev tetaveini, which means in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew it means that you ask Hashem to, 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 to make you a sheketz, like a dirty worm on the floor, and to despite you. Do you know a person that asks Hashem to despite him? No. But when you hear, when an Israeli man hear a Hasid say, Shaketz te Shaketzeini, he understands that the Hasid is asking Hashem to hate him. Or, Lo totir mimeni ad boker. We in Israel say, Lo totir mimenu ad boker. Do not leave from the meat anything until the morning. If you have meat left over, you have to burn it. Don't let the meat stay when the sun rises. But the Hasidish Avara for Israeli, any Israeli in the world that hear a Hasid say, Lo totir mimeni ad boker, it means, Hashem, make sure you kill me before sunrise. Do not leave anything left from me until sunrise. Lo totir mimeni, do not leave from me anything. But the Torah said, do not leave anything from the meat. This is just to show you the punishment of the exile. One Jew say one thing, another one says in a different accent or different avara, and according to him it's a blessing, and according to him it's a curse. This is the punishment that we got for not listening to Hashem, and he scattered us in all the nations, and everything got messed up. And today, nobody in the world knows 100% if the way he speaks is accurate. Unbelievable. But Baruch Hashem, we have a Dola Dor of Moshe Feinstein. He said that all Avarot, all Shitot, all, mina, all uh, ways of davening is all accepted. The Ariya Kadosh say that in heaven you have 13 windows. Each window is from different Nusach of Tfilah. One Tfilah, this Shita goes in this window. This one, this window. Ashkenaz, this window. Uh, Chabad, this window. The, everyone has a shita. 
בנוסח הארי goes in all 13 windows in one shot. This is the חידה also bring, 300 years ago, רבי חיים יוסף אזולאי, דוד יוסף אזולאי, the חידה is abbreviation, he writes about this נוסח הארי. But even about the נוסח הארי, you have arguments. You have the original נוסח הארי, like us the ספרדים דאבן, but now you have a new נוסח הארי. From the Chabad, they say we have no Sakhari, but their no Sakhari and my no Sakhari is not 100% the same. There's differences. You understand? So you have to ask, who has the no Sakhari before who? Chabad or the Sfaradim? The answer is Sfaradim. Sfaradim are here for over 3,000 years in the Middle East. Generation. Chabad is only 200 years old, from Baalatani until now. The Ari was 300 years before. We already used to pray in Nosach Ari before Chabad even started. But when you go to the Chabadnik and say, your Nosach Ari is not like mine, he gets angry. No, your Nosach is not like mine. is the best. Mine is the real one. But the truth is you don't know. You assume that the one that was before is the more original one. But it's no guarantee that it's the truth. Maybe there were changes made and who knows? You never know. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Just to learn about all the nosachim of the tefillah, you need a ear. My chevruta, Rabbi Schwartz, was an expert in it. He went to libraries. He, he was much fanatic, like OCD. What are you doing? I'm going to the library. What? I have to check all driving. Sidur from 800 years ago. They have in libraries. I want to see how the Ashkenazim used to say it 800 years ago and to see if it's, it's the same thing like what we say now. And we used to learn together Gemara, and always he come to me, see, over here we say this, it's wrong. I went to the library, I checked the original way. The original way is with this word. And, this, and what we say, we have to take off this word, and we have to say an extra word. Nobody in the world knows it. He used to write letters to Rav Mazuz. Rav Mazuz is also an expert. In Mesorah, in Grammar, there's another one, Rav Yitzchaki, there's Rav Broyer. There's few Sfaradim and Ashkenazim that are expert in this. Most Talmidei Chachamim do not know this. It's a different field. Mesorah and Dikduk and the tradition of the Tfilot and the Minagim, it's a, it's a whole world. You can have a doctorate on it. But Mezrat Hashem will continue with this next time. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen, Amen. Please download my app, Abutai. We're very close to have a live broadcast directly from the app. We're also going to have a telephone number that when you go on the app, you'll be able to listen to lectures from a phone number, audio. Meaning if you don't have access to, to videos, you can hear it by phone. Bezrat Hashem, we're working on a few updates. Baruch Adonai, Lohulam, Amen, 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 Amen